How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Drew Estate Cigar Studios for episode 166 of How About That Cigar Live. Thank you so much for joining us. And we are live on Facebook. We are live on YouTube. And we want to thank you also if you're listening after the fact on the audio podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening to How About That Cigar Live when you drive down the road, when you work out, whatever it is you do. When you listen to your favorite audio podcast, thank you so much for making us a part of that. And we are here in the Drew Estate Cigar Studios, and let's talk about the new size of the Pappy Van Winkle Barrel Fermented Cigar. The all-new Corona Viva 5 and 3 quarter by 46 Vitola is launching as an exclusive cigar available only at Pappy and Company's website, pappyco.com. A collaboration between the Van Winkle family, owners of Pappy and Company, and Drew Estate, Pappy Van Winkle Barrel Fermented Fermented Cigars pays homage to the legacy of excellence established by Julian Pappy Van Winkle in the bourbon world more than a century ago. The Corona Viva's narrow ring gauge accentuates the barrel-fermented tobacco presence in the Pappy Van Winkle blend, which offers an ultra-premium ultra smoking experience with notes of chocolate, coffee, cedar, charred wood with an overall smoky sweetness. The Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Corona Cigars are packaged in 10-count boxes and available exclusively at pappico.com. So we are here in the Drew Estate Cigar Studios. You will notice conspicuously that there's some fella who's not here. Who, me? Yeah. Oh, okay. So Garrett apparently ate gas station sushi again. Yeah, I heard that's that's bad for you. Yeah, I don't think I, so. So uh, no more gas station sushi um, for Garrett. He's sick, so he cannot be on the show with us this evening. Uh, but we wish him well and hope that he uh, recovers as soon as possible. Um, so real quick, uh, I want to give uh, sort of a in memoriam uh, rest in peace. Uh, Paul Sorvino passed away. Uh, and Paul Sorvino, uh, great American actor, was in Goodfellas. And, uh, of course, now my mind is going blank with what else he was in. But, uh, you know, he was he was Paulie okay. in Goodfellas. Gotcha. But I also knew him from so he did this. There was there was sort of a promotional video that. Uh, I think it was General Cigar put together this promotional thing in the early mid nineties called the art of the cigar. And Paul was like the narrator. He was like the host of nice. this show. Nice. And they had a bunch of, you know, if you watch it, it's like a who's who of early nineties, you know, pop culture people, you know, MTV people, Daisy Fuentes and Dan Cortez and Paul Servino was in it. And uh, Giancarlo Esposito who plays, you know, uh, Gus Fring on breaking bad and, he was in a he was in so many Spike Lee movies. Um, all these people were and it was all about cigars. And I uh, like I said, I think it was some promotional thing mm -hmm. that General Cigar put out in the early 90s. But it's still on YouTube. Just look, go on YouTube, look up the art of the cigar and, and watch it tomorrow. It's really a, a great fun thing to watch and kind of a throwback to 90s cigar culture. Um, so, you know, um, he was he was just a you know, such a presence on screen and his role in Goodfellas was just incredible. And um, so he will be missed. Definitely. Um, the major league baseball power rankings, you know, got, they updated the power rankings today. I have no idea what they're drinking or smoking over there, Okay, but they put the twins at number eight <laughs> in all of major league baseball. They put the twins at number eight. I, is that good or bad? 
uh, well, they think the twins are good because yeah. they put them in number eight, but they're just, I don't know what they're thinking, putting them there. That makes no sense whatsoever. Um, speaking of, who the fuck is Matt Ty? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I wish I would have been there for that. That's going to be, uh, we're going to have to have t shirts made. That's so yeah. sad. Um, <laughs> um, so speaking of baseball, I uh, want to give another shout out, and we're going to continue to promote this. Uh, Cigars and Baseball is happening in St. Paul, Minnesota on September 8th. It is a fantastic event with wonderful cigars and uh, food from local restaurants, uh, beers from local breweries, uh, and spirits from local distilleries. It's a great time at CHS Field. It's in the pavilion area, um, and there there will be plenty of cigars and, and drink and food to go around. Uh, so go to cigarsandbaseball.com to, to learn more about how you can uh, support it. And it's all for the Miracle League, which uh, puts together f- uh, baseball facilities for uh, kids with disabilities. So they have a place to participate in the game of baseball. And so how about def- that cigar will be there live too, right? And how about that cigar will be live at Cigars and Baseball again this year, uh, supporting that great charity and everything they're doing. So uh, stay tuned for that. And guys, we have a huge show with a great panel of guests this evening, and I want to get right into it. So let's get into our main event of the evening. And as always, special guests on How About That Cigar Live are brought to you by Corona Cigar Company. Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, the Internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers you the finest handmade cigars, humidors, and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You'll also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Jeff Borshowitz believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info on all of that, please visit CoronaCigar.com and FloridaSungrown.com. All right, let's get episode 166 underway. If you would, please, let's start out with from Smokian, from KMA Talk Radio, and number one in your hearts, Honest Abe. Welcome back. What's up, boys? How you doing, sir? I like that little touch, number one in your hearts. Number one in your hearts, absolutely. Uh, Listen, I I didn't realize you guys are a Drew Estate studio? Yes. You need to talk to Kevin Shahan, man, because you got like two by fours in the background there, bro. Oh, uh, where's where's all the DE stuff? You are preaching to the choir, bro. Seriously, I've, I've, holy cow! I'll just, I'll just say this: I've asked and Joe Grow, Joe Grow, shame on you, bro. Hook these boys up. <laughs> oh my gosh! Let's just say that I've I've asked, and and I know everybody's busy, so I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. That was Abe that threw people under the bus, not me. Yeah, kind of my <laughs> No, it's all good. Uh, so next on the show for this panel of experts this evening, uh, from Half Wheel, please welcome Charlie Minato. Uh, do you guys need some Drew Estate swag? <laughs> <laughs> we have boxes of it. In fact, yeah, you guys up, could have entered a contest. We, we could have entered a contest. You we guys gave away have, some of the boxes. 
you have like a tractor trailer back up to the the half wheel studios once a week and drop off Drew's not recently uh, yeah. i told joe to stop sending swag because we ran out of space for it and that seems to only have encouraged it more <laughs> no i've just been, so just maybe been try that for, technique i've just been looking for signage you know to hang on the wall back here you know um but we'll, oh, we'll get they should have again. an extra uh nico rustica sign because we decided to give away our swag instead of theirs uh for at least one of our contests, so. <laughs> all right next on the show from developing pallets the cigar surgeon john mctavish What's going on, gentlemen? I also do not have any Drew Estate swag, but my excuse is that I'm further north than you, and apparently that just means that, you know, I'm on the shit list, and that's fine. Never <laughs> mind. doesn't hurt my feelings a little bit. It costs uh, ship stuff to, to you know, Canada. <laughs> I mean, listen, there's 1.5 million packages that travel across the border daily, so I'm pretty sure that that's been figured out a long time ago. You know, I'm not, I'm not a shipping guy, but it seems like an easy problem to solve. There you go. And finally, on this guest panel this evening, and let's put our hands together because he's enjoying and celebrating his 50th birthday from Rome Trap to back, Skip Martin. The, the headliner. The headliner. <laughs> John said he was going to sing happy birthday to him live. Yeah. Pre show. No, so what, Abe, what I Abe said I was you're going to pay me not to sing live. To... <laughs> Abe, I went to get a bottle of rum, and I saw this, and it reminded me of you, so I had to. Uh, I still got that empty bottle in my office, buddy. Just just, just to have, because it has a place in my heart, I got this one just for you. <laughs> Love that bottle. Love that bottle. Skip and um, I finished the bottle of that, just bullshitting in my office. Nice. <laughs> it started yeah, another, I started a second bottle, I think, if I remember. Maybe, right. maybe, <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> go through it doesn't take it doesn't take much before you're like oh this where'd the bottle go i thought we had booze yeah i've been there before uh well before we jump into the conversation i think i'm gonna get my cigar fired up and skip uh for your birthday tonight here in the studio uh justin and i are smoking uh the craft 18 nice so the la uh, campana yes those are those are smoking really good right now we are uh, we're gonna smoke these now, and I'm gonna get mine fired up on the. Uh, I should get this set up here because Justin's gonna need to read this. Oh yeah. Here we go. When lighting your cigar, it's important to be patient, pay close attention to detail, and focus on the tobacco. In the same way, Steve Saka brings those same qualities to the ultra premium cigars of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Patience, close attention, and focus on the tobacco are the qualities that Saka and Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust have become known for. From Sombra Mesa to Umbagak, Dunbarton has a blend of fit your palate, your mood, at any occasion. Visit DunbartonCigars.com to learn more. I, I'd ask right. for my money back on that ad. Yeah, already then. <laughs> wow. Hey, hey, would you ask for your money back on that ad? I was just saying, man, we're just not creative enough on KMA to come up with some of these things. <laughs> I, I just want to know if there's a camera under the table for the, you know, the ball sack perspective <laughs> sponsored by, you know, the nutsack uh, cam. Cold, cold nuts on the, the tile. I, in the insert a name here. I, I don't want to say a name because I would upset someone. But Nuts.com. Yeah. Nuts .com. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, that was one of the one of the stories Saka told us during his interview at the PCA show was what was that he uh, 
was that he's when he got to the hotel room he was so hot he stripped down and he he sat on the cold tile floor and let his nuts lay on the cold tile floor yeah i needed that i needed that visual (laughs) i'm pretty sure steve doesn't have to sit for that to happen oh (laughs) well i can tell you when you get to 50 uh some things some, some things get longer and uh, you know <laughs> things yeah it, uh, when when you when you for the first time when you actually sit on your nuts which which doesn't sound like it's possible but when they get caught under your thigh and you actually sit on your own nuts you you, you start adjusting as you sit down from, from then on you never do it twice you know you're getting old when you get to tell everybody the exact temperature of Toilet water. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go around and uh, have everybody say what they are smoking and drinking. Uh, so, Abe, sadly, we know that you're not smoking with us this evening, but what are you uh, What are you imbibing? Uh, I am indoors in the dining room because of the late hour broadcast. The kids had violin. I had to get home. Anyways, so, but I am imbibing, doing a little McAllen 15 here, if I can get it there. Very okay. nice. Very nice. Uh, Charlie, what about you? Um, I'm drinking Kenobi and Tonic. And I, just because it's Skip's birthday, I'm smoking what Skip told me is a Cro-Magnon from the sampler release. Yeah, so one of the very first ones. 2010? 2009? Yeah, it's, it's actually from the first box release. It's not from the sampler release. It's, it's from mm. 2011 or 12. But still, it's so about not in Adrian's Cro-Magnon. Right, a right, exactly. Very nice. Thank you, Charlie. I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you for the cigar. Uh, and John, what are you smoking and drinking? Uh, well, I'm started things off because I knew this was going to be a long show with a Howard G. Black Moses and a uh, little little bourbon, which uh, you know normally my go-to would be Scotch, but uh, I figured you know American show, let's do some American bourbon. But I knew Skippy was going to be on the show, and uh, I made. Uh, Loomis uh, ferret these up to me, so uh, you know Neanderthal for dessert. Right the after HS. this, uh, Black Moses is done. Yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get lit tonight. Yeah, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna get crazy. Uh, Skip, what are you smoking and drinking? I'm drinking this bamboo rum and Mexican oh, coke. Yeah, yeah. And I'm smoking right now. I'm smoking uh, Mas Ignatius, one of uh, Luciano's new cigars from the show. That's a good cigar. And. I have lined up this new one from Tim Osger the, that Luciano also makes, the uh, Bocephus or Bophorus. I like Bocephus. Bo- Bocephus yeah. is definitely not the name of the cigar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it should be. Yeah. Bo- Bophorus. I was trying to be facetious. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I got that lined up. That's very cool. Um, I, wanted to, I want to jump in a kind of – you know, because and we sort of joked about this last year, too, is that, you know, we're really not recapping the trade show, even though. So a little history for people. If you go back to the first time we did this, this is the third time we've done this, this hive mind thing. And the first time we did it was July of, you know, late July of 2020. And there was no PCA trade show in 2020. So this was sort of meant to be, uh, you know, checking in with this sort of the state of the cigar industry you know, without a PCA trade show. Um, and then last year, you know, since it came pretty close on the heels of the PCA trade show, um, we we said, okay, we're, 
there's been already been a lot of recap shows about PCA and all that, so we're not really going to dive into that. And really the same is true this year. But the floor is open for any and all discussions. Uh, I have a list of questions, but, you know, if, if there's something that isn't asked that you want to bring up, by all means, please do it. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask about is sort of it, it triggers or, or it springboards off of something that I saw at the PCA from a couple of notable companies. And that is sort of some rebranding, uh, some of re representation. You know, uh, Agonor Salif and Illusione are the first two that come to mind. Where, you know, their Coraline stuff they they rebranded and made thing tried to make things more cohesive, I guess, for their retailers and their consumers. Um, so I wanted to, you know, get everybody's perspective on whether or not they think that's a good thing. Um, and what are the pros and cons, you know, for retailers and consumers uh, alike? Uh, so, Abe, let's start with you. Um, well, for some people, it's definitely a good thing. And for some people, it doesn't work as well. But, I mean, I mean, let's just take it one. Both those two projects you mentioned, Aganorsa and Illusion. I mean, man, it was just hard as a retailer, as a guy who's in the industry ordering the product, even feel the identity or know the connection of some of that those packaging in those boxes and especially dion and i i think you know i, I saw dion's packaging and i i think i believe my prediction it's going to be a great move for him because you know if you're following dion from day one yeah you've kind of understand the progression get everything but if you're a new cigar smoker has gotten into it and you're looking at his products on the shelf it's really hard to know where anything kind of lies and um I, I think the new branding is going to be optimal for a new audience for Dion and people who may just have been too overwhelmed or confused by it. In fact, I was telling Pete, I'd love to see him do it too. You know, Pete's products, like, I literally have to call him because I don't even know how he'd like it broken down on our website because I look at other people's website and everybody does it differently, whether it's stuff just made in Miami, whether it's just stuff made in Nicaragua, whether it's just the wrapper. It's, it's, it's got a lot of variations that it's really hard. I believe it's really hard for a consumer to really know what something is sometimes. And he's tried to help out by putting secondary bands and differentiating things to help signify what it is. But um, I think those are going to be two good moves for both those companies there. Okay. Uh, Charlie, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think that uh, probably shouldn't hit this microphone again. Um oh. You know, I'm going to miss the old Illusione branding. Um, I'm maybe not a, a day one Illusione consumer, but I've uh, been with it pretty early on and, and certainly kind of understand the brands. Um, but it seemed pretty clear talking to Dion to, to sort of hop on what Abe just said, that he's trying to get people that are currently not buying Illusione for any number of reasons to start buying Illusione. And uh, this will be one way to sort of organically or or force it upon some of these people to reconsider that. Um, I would also throw Ashton in there. They've done a pretty substantial rebrand on Larba de Cuba, um, where they're not doing as significant as the Agonor Salif complete renaming, repackaging everything, but um, some subtle imagery changes, but more to the point, standardizing the boxes, which um, you know Abe can talk about how it's, uh, it's not great to have not only different size boxes uh, and also inefficient size boxes where there are say one row of 10 cigars, but also getting it so that those uh, box count numbers are consistent 
within each line. So that way, when Abe's people are doing e-commerce stuff, it's not uh, a complete pain in the ass trying to figure out, is this a 20-count box, a 21-count box, a 25-count box? Um, and then somebody in the chat mentioned Artista just you know, sort of said, we're doing at least a company rebrand, maybe not so much a product rebrand. Yeah. Yeah, and theirs, theirs was... Uh... Um, yeah, it was really, like you said, a company rebrand. I mean, the, I, there's a little tweak to one of the lines. I, don't, I believe it's the Buffalo 10 that it's I mean, a super minor tweak to what the bands look like. Otherwise, everything's identical. Um, uh, but Skip, what do you think? Because I'll be honest, I, w I joked with Fred about this after our interview. I said I was just getting it all figured out with <laughs> you know, the Illusione stuff. So. Skip, what do you think about the, you know, the presentation on the shelf? I mean, you know, when we first launched our brand, my genius idea was to have no boxes, no bands, everything comes in unbanded bundles, and that, that this that this was going to be, um, you know, revolutionary. <laughs> so obviously that didn't uh, that didn't work out. Um, what I'll tell you is when we when we decided to start using uh, packaging um for the designed for kind of the retail presence um we put a lot of thought and effort in, into this idea of a house of brands right where if there's a section in a humidor you can tell that's roma even it can still stay sim simple and substantial but but it's different enough where you know you can differentiate one from the other if you're a little bit engaged in the in the brand but at the same time you all know what it you know what it is that look and feel is our house of brands and, you know, I think some people in our business are good at marketing. Some people are good at, you know, graphic design. Some people are good at sales. Some people are good at tobacco. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that started out kind of their way. They, you know, they started out with one line and it turned into 30 lines. And then at some point they have to kind of group it all back together. I'm with Charlie on uh, original documents. Like, I've always been a fan of those cigars from the tobacco all the way through to the simple packaging. I loved the idea that you can enjoy the cigar knowing it's all kind of from the same house of brands. You can enjoy the cigar um, without knowing what the letters on the band meant, but that once you really got involved in the brand and you dug a little deeper, kind of created that engagement. That is one of the things that we did uh, straight, straight off of that idea from Dion when we did the, the, the stuff that's under the band of our cigars, right? Like there was always a layer underneath the, 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 the simple stuff. Um, and then, you know, then you look at a company like Crux and you have where they, they had all these kind of five brands, but they were kind of not connected. And then when they did their rebranding, they created this kind of house of brands that I feel like really worked. So in some ways, rebranding re is just a company reaches a point where now, now that they, they've got all the stuff out there, they're going to kind of get it all collected and, and represent it. And sometimes it's like a Hail Mary um because whatever they're doing is not working and they're trying to to reinvent themselves and sometimes you read you change a box or a label or whatever because of a regulatory issue like warning labels are coming or whatever so you know each company has their own reason for doing it but you know i kind of agree with abe and and charlie both um sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't yeah uh you know um john so um abe mentioned you know tatuaje and, and I'll be honest, I was a little surprised by that because Tatuaje in my, at least to me as a consumer, is is pretty well delineated. 
So, you know, as far as all the brands, you, you know, the ones we've discussed already, you know, what are your thoughts about, you know, from a retail and a consumer perspective? Well, listen, I think there's two parts of the retail part. And I mean, I agree that you probably want consistent branding just from a, and as Skip talked about it, having a section on the wall in the retailer shop, if you've got multiple boxes and they're not, you know, some retailers maybe aren't um, organizing their, their humidor in the best possible way. So maybe the boxes are spread out and they don't have them in a, in a cohesive section. Um, that said, I mean, Illusion has always made good cigars. So, you know, unifying the branding probably makes sense. I, I, I like the branding. I mean, I've smoked them for a long time, so uh, I'm kind of sad to see that go away. But I guess if it helps the brand, that's great. Uh, at this, like I said, at the same time, I think it totally makes sense. Uh, but, you know, retailers still need to sort of do their job of saying like, hey, these are really great cigars. You should probably try them. Um, you know, like I, I, I still don't fathom how if you've got a boutique cigar sh or shop that carries a lot of boutique cigars. And I've heard comments that like, yeah, you know, we had a hard time moving Illusione. And I'm like, that seems like a you problem, not a, not a, you know, a marketing or a band problem for them. But, um, yeah, I mean, Tatuaje is a good example of, you know, they've been around, same thing. They've been around long enough that like, you know, you either know the brand or you don't. I don't know that, you know, changing the packaging necessarily changes that per se, but it certainly won't hurt to have a unified band style and box style across the entire line. Yeah. Um, I agree, and I agree across the board with with a lot of the crux comments that, and even from you know viewers in in the comments is that their rebrand was really you know it was really well done and it was smart because uh, although I I did like their look in the beginning it was it was after they made all the changes that I saw everything lined up on a store shelf and it kind of hit me I said okay this this makes more sense the way it's lined up What's what's funny is, and Abe can tell you this, um, there's going to be some guy who's been smoking, you know, that original documents line forever. Yeah. And now that the packaging changed, he's going to swear up and down it's different. Yeah. You know? Oh, and there's going to be people <laughs> that are just going to think it disappeared. I right. Mean, this right. is the, the part right. that I think Abe knows better than the, the rest of us. But, like, there are people that have never heard of any of the websites that we own that buy lots of cigars. In fact, most people buying cigars have never heard of any of the websites that we have, let alone Smoke and Aromacraft. And there are people that have bought Illusione Triple Eights. I know it as that cigar with the three eights on it or whatever. Don't even know it's called Illusione. Just know where it is in the humidor and what they like. And they're going to see something else there. And it's going to be the retailer's responsibility as well as to some degree Dion's. But it, it's a massive uphill challenge of trying to let people know, hey, this is the same product. Um, let alone the, what, the problem that Skip's talking about, which is going to be rampant, you know, amongst the sort of consumer base that, that I think we interact with a lot more. Abe, you're on mute. We, 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 um, look, as retailers, we've seen this plethora of times over the decades, right? So it's really not, on a retail door level, it's not that big of a deal. Someone's going to come in, see something he doesn't recognize, and say, oh, no, here it is, exact same cigars, just new packaging. And most consumers are, have been exposed to new packaging, whether it's detergent, whether it's Coke, whether it's Pepsi. Um, things change over time. There's a percentage of the consumer, you're right, Charlie, they'll say, oh, it's not the same cigar. But that's, I think, small, and that's just you know a casualty of the move for the, the more significant gain you hope to get. 
you know, and, and even those guys after a while will go try something else. They don't like it. And the majority of them will even come back and start smoking that cigar. If that's what they really like. Cause at the, end of, at the end of the day, we all know they're not changing the blends. It's the same cigars. I mean, I agree with you, like in the case of Ashton, but Illusione is where, where they're just changing the literally just changing the packaging in a pretty minor way. Illusione is changing the name of the line in a lot of cases, or almost all these cases, the name of the Vitola, like it, in the, the packaging does not look the same. Even the Illusione branding doesn't look the same. I think it's going to be a, a pretty substantial uphill climb for retailer, you know, for in stores where the retailers aren't hand selling in a manner that's similar to Smoke In. And I think the other thing that's just different here is I don't think any of us are thinking that Dion's sales are poor. So it's no. not necessarily, and I don't mean to, to shit on Crux, but like, the volume that Crux was doing prior to the rebrand cannot be similar to what Illusione Original Documents is doing. And so there is a lot at, at play here that's a bit different than I think a lot of these other rebrands. I think in the case of Dion, it's a strategic evolution that he's looking for at this point. And, um, and, the, new, and the new stuff looks good, right? I mean, it looks good. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I'm going to miss the old stuff. Because, you know, we'll be in 10 years. We'll be talking, hey, you remember the Holy Lance? You remember the, <laughs> the Mary Magdalene, you know? But I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you a perfect example of this. I used to be a big 601 smoker from EO Brands. And at that time, I believe they were being made by my father, if, if I'm correct. That's right. And um, I was a big fan of that cigar. Uh, that whole line, the, the green, the, I had it all worked out, the green, the blue, everything. And then there was a little period of time where, where they went to over to Rocky. And the band was kind of the same, but it was like downgraded in terms of quality, in terms of, you know, execution. Every, it looked like Crayola, cheap Crayola kind of labels on it. And that didn't last very long at all. And I just remembered that that, that change in packaging was a shift in that brand for me. Right. Um, yeah. And there's been a couple of other those where I've, there was a change in packaging and it was a shift in the positive direction. Right. Like, oh, these guys got their shit together. It's ref the quality is now reflected in the packaging. They're doing a better job on the backside, too. You know, let me try it again. And boom, it, it, it clicked with me. So my only advice on this would be and this is kind of, you know, the golden rule is I, I think uh, changing your packaging, changing your branding, re re redoing this is perfectly accepted in this business. It's not a deal breaker at all. Just make sure that what you're doing new fixes all the problems and makes it better than the old. If you go backwards, then then it's the beginning of the end, I think. Yeah, because you don't want to make it more confusing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's it's like, so... If we're talking big brand versus small brand, you know, craft versus you know, like Illusione versus, you know, Altidus, you know, Budweiser versus, um, you know, the craft brewery, that, you know, down the street, uh, not down the street, but, you know, like Surly here in, in you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, pretty well known even in, outside of Minnesota. Um, if, if a regular Bud Light drinker goes into you know his liquor store you know and goes to buy his you know 48 can pack or whatever the hell of of bud 12 ounce bud light cans and the outside of the cardboard on the case looks a little different and the cans look a little different he's first of all he's not going to care second of all he's he's not going to taste any difference because that stuff is basically brewed by computer 
And um, although it's not the same with cigars, you know, when we're talking huge brands that, you know, factories that roll, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of cigars a year, you know, versus, a, you know, a brand that rolls two million cigars a year, um, there's they're already on an uphill climb as far as, you know, small, like Crux, for example, they're, they're already smaller in brand, smaller in scale and not as well known as Monte Cristo and, and Trinidad, for example. Um, and if, but the smokers who enjoy Crux on a regular basis, not in all cases, but in, in more cases than those who smoke Monte Cristo whites, they would have a, maybe a slightly higher percentage chance of noticing if there's a difference, if there's a marked difference in the blend. Right. And like, not, like, like my 601 example. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll give you, I'll give you another example is the Sancho Panza, the rebranding of that at the show. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know who saw that, but, and this is a guy who hasn't bought a Sancho Panza in years. So take it for what it's worth. Um, I think it's really important to understand and, and I think a lot of times when we comment on things in the industry, we overlook this, this fact that there are a bunch of different segments of different kinds of consumers and different kinds of products that connect with those consumers. The classic Sancho Panza brand, right, to me, connected to a classic cigar smoker and a classic kind of cigar buyer, and, and it, it kind of migrated into this uh catalog zone where maybe they just stopped selling any significant amount of them at all because people just forgot about it right but like henry clay or whatever but i'll tell you that this whole kind of you know east la kind of chicano graffiti kind of thing uh doesn't align with the whole don quixote kind of sancho panza brand thing that i you know, it's kind of like a, a Quentin Tarantino version of Romeo and Juliet, you know, or whatever. It's, it's, it's not, I'm not, but I'm not the target audience for that. Maybe there's some huge block of uh, that group of people that are going to, they're going to grab onto this brand uh, and, and, and make it a, you know, successful again. I, I don't know, but I know I'm not the target. Uh, I, I wasn't buying the old one, even though I respected it as a traditional brand. The new one completely turns me off. I won't even buy it or try it. That's me as a consumer. But maybe I'm not the target, right? Yeah, I would say that's that's a brand that, you know, Sancho Panza specifically, uh, you know, uh, outside of the Cuban ones, but the, you know, ones available in shops on U.S. soil. Honestly, I don't, I don't know how to put this delic delicately, but the consumers who know who that was their regular cigar who were going into their shop, you know, once a week and buying five of those and sitting down with their buddies at the cigar shop, smoking those week after week after week, they're dead. Yeah. Right. Those, <laughs> right. Consumers, those consumers are no longer alive. Yeah. And, you know, they, they and, were smoking with George Burns back in the day. Right. Yeah. So they're <laughs> there. And the, and the, the younger, you know, the 25, you know, to 34 year olds, cigar consumers are going to see those old style Sancho Panzas and say that is the that is the most grandpa looking cigar in the whole humidor at this shop and they're going to look for something else yeah but I'm saying if it was me maybe I would have grabbed onto that classic 
And of course, General hasn't hired me to be a brand guy. But <laughs> I would have, I would have grabbed onto that Skip classic offers. Uh, though. I, I would have <laughs> grabbed onto that classic, um, uh, you know, Don Quixote kind of Picasso uh, version of the picture of Sancho Panza, the statue yeah. in Madrid. I would have really gotten maybe you know a little bit kind of you know, quirky with it, but really stuck into that, that the brand story, right. And, and reintroduce it as a, as a crazy, you know, better product, but I don't know what their goal was. I can tell you, I wasn't buying it before and I ain't buying it now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I want to go into actually go back to last year's show uh, on the hive minds. And I, I brought up a question about the over under on how long it was going to be before sales dip back down to pre-COVID numbers. Um, and we, I set the line at two years. Um, and so we're basically halfway through that now. Um, so I'll say at the time, I, and I went back and checked it out. Uh, so John, you, you took the over. Uh, Abe, you took never or the over. Um, Charlie, you took the under and skip, you didn't really answer, but if I think you took the under, um, I think and you took, so the you're under. saying I was right. <laughs> um, so I wanted to, uh, I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> I, I, th I think if you look at Abe's numbers or if you look at certain, I mean, some retailers, you know, hit the accelerator on this COVID thing and have come out of it stronger and they're killing, they're, they're, they probably will never return, not not unless something big happens, return to pre-COVID numbers. But um, that's because a lot of places are either dead or dying. And that business went somewhere, right? But if and, and you can't look at imports because imports doesn't tell you anything about inventories, right? But, but, but my overall sense is that we started to see a decline in the, the COVID bump in, around November. Um, this trade show, there are some people who died. They just don't know they're dead yet because they've made big moves at the factory finally to, 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 to increase their inventories, to sell to retailers who just simply aren't buying. And I think uh, what's, what's going to happen, my, my best guess is in the next 12 months from July to July, you're going to see U.S. imports go down by about 80 million, and you're going to see EU imports go up by about 80 to 100 million. And the companies that already have really good, uh, strong distribution and, and connection, like Hoya and Davidoff and and Jay Cortez with Oliva, and these companies are going to kill it in Europe in the next year. And the, uh, the people who, the small guys who kind of stuck their necks out, went out on a limb, uh, they're going to be in a lot of trouble in the next 12 months in the U.S. I, I don't know how accurate, to be honest with you, any of that is, is even close to happening. But all I know is you guys need to take the video clip of Charlie Monado's facial response because that's the <laughs> meme in the happening right there. If anybody caught that move when Skip was talking, I, I want it. I'm going to find it. I'm going to use it. Charlie. <laughs> like, like what the fuck's he talking about? <laughs> well, I don't know. 80 million what more the, cigars to Europe. Jesus. I think, oh, I, I think so I, in the next 12 months. So I've got, Can I've they got handle Europe. it? Yes. I've yeah. got Europe. I've got Europe later on the list of questions. I've got, got Europe later. So, but I want to I want to go to uh, back to John and Abe. So John, are you still are you still feeling, you know, positive about the over? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think I don't think we're seeing double digit growth like you did during COVID, but uh, I think there's still probably high single digit growth, and I think that's going to maintain. I don't think. Uh, I mean, at least I would say for the next 18 to 24 months, I think you're going to see consistent growth. Um, you know, I think with this FDA thing, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but I'm sure with this FDA thing, how that lands is going to have an impact. Um, but overall, I think there's going to be continued growth for the next 18 to 24 months, not pre-COVID, but we're not, we're not, uh, the sales and, and imports, however you want to classify that are not receding. We are not, uh, we are not at pre-COVID levels. We are definitely still in a post-COVID market. Okay. Uh, and Abe, are you still, still positive about the, the numbers staying up? And yeah, there's. Not returning I, I, to I don't. I don't see a feasible path to for us to return to pre 2019 numbers, um, pre COVID numbers. It's just not going to happen. Um, we knew, as far as on, especially on the e commerce side, because most of our growth and boom came when every other retail in the country was closed, and basically people would never shopped online before had to shop online. We knew there was going to be a coming down. Um, we didn't experience it at all in 2021. Um, and I think it began, uh, you know, March of this year, and it, it's it's a leveling off, but nowhere like I mean, it's it, the 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 path is leveling and it's not tanking. So, and then that was our goal going in. It's like, look, we know that it's sooner or later, whatever is going on here is going to come to an end. And how do we maintain or how do we keep a, a nice percentage of the growth? On the other hand our retail doors are all still growing and, and doing better on our local level. So, you know, I, I don't see a path to going uh, for, for us. And I have to assume most retailers that, you know, are, are, are somewhat successful with business. I, I don't see a path to going to pre COVID numbers. Well, okay. let me ask you, let me ask you a question, Abe. So before Charlie completely discredits everything I said, <laughs> so the, the question I would ask you is, and this was a general kind of consensus that I heard, which was, it's not that there's a whole bunch of new smokers during COVID. It's the people that smoke cigars are buying more. Is that true? They absolutely over overbought. Right. So, um, but there also are new smokers. I mean, it's 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 not, it's not a black and white area. But I'm but I'm COVID saying that created a- COVID undoubtedly created some level of new smokers. Is it the cause of the boom? It's most likely not but you know there are new smokers there are a lot i believe there are a lot more cigar smokers or people who enjoy the hobby than there was two years ago yeah i yeah i don't know i mean that's uh, anecdotal and maybe it's true but i just don't get that in i feel like new smokers are built by really solid brick and mortar retailers and so and they're not built by online companies right so no it's built by online retailers but guess what happens with those guys when you build them in an online retail store a percentage of them go find online retailers yeah yeah i mean the the only kind of new smokers like people i've seen really getting into and and maybe i'm just disconnected but are, are like these Pravada Cigar Club guys who are who are kind of popping up everywhere. It's a really strong movement, and they're people who I never really saw before. So either I just didn't see them before, or or Pravada's doing a great job of building new cigar smokers. But if retailers are generally where new cigar smokers are built, and there's less retailers, less good retailers, it seems like the number of new cigar smokers coming in are going down. And the number of cigar smokers who are quitting or dying or whatever are going, you know, cutting mm-hmm. off the other side. 
you know, Skip, you always talk about all the bad retailers. I mean, I no, mean, I, I'm, I'm just asking. No, I mean, no, that's my saying, impression. I've been, 20, I've been yeah. in the industry 25 years. There are definitely bad retailers, but they're definitely bad at everything, any industry. That's bad true. retailers are part of our industry. I that's mean, true. there are bad retailers in Florida, and I don't know one shop. In Florida, as anybody here knows, is stocked with retailers everywhere. I don't know one guy who's closed down. Right. <laughs> you know, if there's one right. record thing about I could tell you about the industry is sucky retailers seem to live forever. Right. <laughs> right. So I yeah. mean, no one's closing down. They're not going anywhere. And I'm not saying so much about bad retailers. I'm trying to give credit to really good retailers being able to build smokers. They do. And they do. But, you know, I, I don't know how and what exactly is the barometer. All I know is, is on a cigar shop on a retail level. Our staff sees people come in. I'm just getting into this. Or, you know, you know your regulars. All of a sudden, there's a new guy. Sometimes the new guy's not new to cigar smoking. He's new to your neighborhood. He just moved right, it down. Right. I mean, it's all part of the equation. I mean, I, I don't know how to break it down in a finite number. Yeah, I think, I mean, the same way that I don't see kind of fluctuations in demand because we kind of are always under our demand. I don't see when it goes up and down so much as a company. Because you're such a good retailer, I think maybe you don't see, you know, that piece of it either. Because you're so insulated from, by being as good as you are and, and owning the area that you're in, you don't maybe see it as much as we do nationally. I mean, I don't know. We talk. We talk. I talk to all the retailers at the trade show. I'm friends with a lot of retailers. Many of them are in this chat. I mean, we, we all kind of relate. I mean, and, and like I said, I... I it's like I said, the bad retailers don't seem to go away. So I don't, and and yet and yet I still hear new cigar shop. They're building up, I don't know what, some absurd number, four million dollar new shop in Tampa. It's coming up. So, I mean, who are these people opening up for? They keep opening up all the time, and no one, and very few people do I hear closing because I would know because they would come to us and see we'd want to acquire them. So if they're local, right. so right. yeah, right. I mean, it's just, it's not happening. Listen, if uh, I know we're going to get into it later in the show, but if, if this Habanos pricing thing has indicated anything, it's that uh, I think we might be underestimating the market pretty vastly as the terms of uh, how much growth potentially there is both on a, a dollar figure perspective and a new cigar smoker market perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always heard this number of 20, 25 million of Habanos was consumed in the U S and if they're having issues it's getting stores, more to, than that. yeah, yeah it's gotta be so so than let's that. say let's say maybe that maybe if those guys switch to smoking New World cigars, maybe that's a new source of new smokers, right? But yeah, um, um, well, I want I want Charlie's take on the the U.S. You know, on the over under. You know, are you still are you still sticking to your last year's uh, uh, under? Yeah, I mean, I I think that. Uh, it's pretty alarming to me that there are large, uh, you know, some of Abe's competitors that are quite frankly larger than Abe are running heavy discounts on a weekly basis on most of their inventory. Not a, you know, here's everything that's on sale, but here's a 20% off coupon or here's, you know, $40 off 200. I, I understand that some of this is, you know, just the nature of the market and, and for the consumers watching the show, like cigar prices keep going up retailers you know at the brick and mortar level tip, don't typically pass along uh the discounts that they receive whereas the online guys are much more uh, aggressive about passing those discounts or at least some of those discounts on but um i mean that tells me that that you know it can't be the case that all of apes or most of apes competitors are 
you know, struggling this poorly um, or are in full-on customer acquisition mode where they feel the need to make this sort of a standing discount. Um, I do think that the Habanos thing will impact it. And I was sort of thinking about that, uh, you know, five minutes ago. I, I just don't know how much of it will be. And I'm sure we'll get more into that. But those consumers are going to be a lot more difficult to capture. And a lot of them, quite frankly, are going to be willing to pay these prices. Um, they just may smoke less. Um, and, you know, it'll be what it'll be in, in that regards. But I don't think it's going to be the case that you're just going to see 25 million cigars go from Habanos' portfolio to Taiwahe, Padron, Fuente, Davidoff, et cetera. Um, you know, I think a lot of those people are going to actually remain pretty loyal to Habanos. Um, yeah, so we're kind of there and I, and, and I, I don't want to derail this. So let's, let's kind of keep, you know, the, the conversation going that what I put in the notes was, you know, the, the Habanos price increases, uh, I mean, Charlie, correct me if I'm wrong. They varied depending on the line and, and all that they varied from 20% to 200%. Is that right? No. 100%. Uh, yeah. I mean, it depends on the line, the cigar, but also the country. Right. Okay. So if you're in uh, the lower uh, the, the lower tax markets, so that would be Cuba, Spain, Germany, um, Switzerland to some degree, et cetera, it, it's going to be much more punishing than it will be, at least from what we understand of it, that this is confusing. And also the, you know, from what I gather, the local uh, distributors can set their pricing the way they'd like to and then you know the retailers can set their pricing in some of these countries not in everyone in germany for example uh you must sell the cigars for what the, the tax stamp on the box says so there's basically in germany a msrp plus german tax is the price that you should pay unless someone's doing something illegally um but no in the case of trinidad in in spain uh you're talking about uh three four hundred percent increases um, yeah for some of those cigars. so, so when that it when you take that in conjunction with the, the steady increase over the last 10, 15 years of new world cigar sales in Europe, um, do you, what kind of effect do you think that's going to have on, first of all, the pricing, because is that going to open the door for pricing changes for new world cigars in, in Europe and Asia? And are those, are there going to, be any residual effects from that felt here in the states because of those new world price increases in Europe if those new world price increases are in fact going to happen in Europe I mean I think well, that uh, I think that one thing to remember or, or to understand about particularly Europe which is the easiest market for us to explain um, because it's the one that the, the non-Cuban world has penetrated the most or, or the new world, uh, world, as you would say, um, is that most of the European countries are not profitable for just about any American, let's call it company, selling cigars over there. Germany is, I think, for everybody, pretty much everyone, everyone that's in Germany, is the one that you make money at. Some people do very well in Spain, some people do very well in France, some people do well in Italy, Belgium, etc. But in general, if you're not doing well in Germany, I think it's going to be a real uphill battle for this to work. Some of these countries, like the United Kingdom, quite frankly, I would have to guess that if Skip was selling cigars in the United Kingdom, if he took one trip to the UK to do a shop visit per year, that would 
demolish the profit margin. And that's assuming that Skip isn't going and, you know, buying luxury goods in the UK. That market <laughs> is super small. Um, and it's, it's not one that's, quite frankly, worth much. I think that what's been apparent to me, and I've been going to Dortmund um, every year that they've had the Intertobac trade show since 2012. Um, and so I was there basically when there was 10 non-Cuban companies, and, and that was very different in 2019, is that the price points are helpful to begin with. Uh, you know, a general standard has been, it obviously just changed over the years, but you know, in Germany, whatever your cigar is in dollars in the US, you price that in euros. In Germany is how a lot of people were doing that for many, many years. It would still be higher because the euro obviously trades, you know, higher than the dollar. But um, not anymore. Not yeah, you know, not not to the same extent. You can't get away with that and keep your profit margins. But the thing was is that there's a group of, of Cuban cigar smokers who are never going to smoke a non-Cuban cigar, uh, and that's what I think a lot of Americans think of when they think of classic Davidoff of London consumer. Those guys are out from the word Nicaragua. However, people that are my age and getting into cigar smoking, they walk into a cigar shop with a much more open mind. Just like when they walk into Abe's store, the younger people are going to be much more likely to smoke acid than they are to smoke a non-flavored cigar. And so that has always been the case. And you look at it, particularly in Germany, but also in Holland um, and you know, to some degree in Belgium, there's a strong non-Cuban culture, and it's not just people under the age of 40, but it heavily skews towards people that are under the age that Skip just turned. <laughs> swipes. Wow. Swipes. So swipes. I, I'm sure someone over at Hoya, because they do really well in Europe, is figuring out how to make cigars that don't draw, that don't <laughs> burn correctly, uh, that are under, that go immediately in the box after production and are way overpriced. And they're going to penetrate that that unpenetrable, you know, when there is no inventory of Habanos, that that douchey guy in uh, in Dunhill on um, whatever Easy Street, right? He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna come in and say, you know, if I can't buy the Cohiba, what can I buy? I got just the cigar for you. <laughs> You're gonna love it. And then people like Septimor and Gurkha are gonna make, you know. $3,000 cigars to sell in Singapore and Hong Kong to all the Chinese money that just wants the most expensive thing possible uh, with gold flakes all over it and all that shit. And so I think the people that have the best, in my opinion, the people that have the best opportunity to grab this, this market are the Dominicans. So, you know, whereas Nicaragua's take, taking a little bit of a, of, of a lead in the U.S. kind of preference of, of tobacco, I think Dominican, who, who've been struggling to kind of recreate a classic Cuban cigar for years and doing a, a much better job than the Cubans themselves, in my opinion, are going to be able to, once they get those cigars, if they, they create high dollar, kind of high quality, high packaging, things like what, um, or even in Costa Rica, like the things that Atabay and Byron are, do, are doing, I think those kinds of cigars ha really have an opportunity to displace or to replace where this inventory is not available in in London. And, and, you know, for the record, Charlie, we do pretty good in London. We used to sell to London from Schuster, but because of Brexit, we've started to sell directly to London. We have a single retailer there and he does really good. It's not a lot of money, but for us, you know, we don't need a lot, um, but he does a very good job with our brand and we make money at it. Um, yeah, but just, if you, you know, took we're not one getting trip rich. to London, would you yeah, still have your profit margin? <laughs> well, one trip to Harrods. <laughs> no, no, just just to London, yeah. just yeah, Austin to Heathrow and back. 
Yeah, I don't fly coach, so it's it's it that is that is an issue. One of the benefits we have is we sell directly from the factory, right? So we we don't even realize any of the profit margins for international stuff in the U.S. So we don't pay the same kind of taxes. So it's a whole different model, but we do pretty good. And and you're right, you know, the trip I just took over there, the two week, three week trip through seven countries, um, it eats up a big chunk of that. Uh, I think. But, sorry. Yeah, I I, I, th I think what we've got going on, and the pricing thing is 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 a tail uh, thing of what's happening with Habanos in in Europe. I mean, you're talking about 18 to 24 months of uh, massively declining inventory in shops to the point where there's you know you walk in. I think Jay mentioned it, uh, and I know from f firsthand experience, uh, there's shops, key shops in Paris that literally have no boxes, zero boxes of or empty Habanos boxes. for sale. There, there's literally yeah. nothing you can buy, and that's well, not gross. like. The, Petit Coronas. Uh, and I, actually, I don't even think you can buy boxes of Petit Coronas. I think you can only buy singles um, because they're holding them back. But, you know, there's there's no inventory to buy. And it hasn't been that way for a little while. It's been that way for an extended period of time. And on the, on the tail end of that, now what you're talking about is a minimum price increase of 18 to 22%. And in some cases, 3 to 400%. So you've got a lot of things happening at once. And the biggest thing you're going to see is if you are a hardcore Havano smoker, you're almost certainly going to be down trading from, you know, if you're smoking a more premium brand like Trinidad because you have taste, you're going to be down, almost certainly down trading to a lower Marca that you know probably isn't going to taste the same to you maybe and so i think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for uh habano smokers to maybe not switch over to quote unquote new world cigars but i think you're going to see a big spike in uh dual use cigar smokers from guys who said i'll never smoke a new new world cigar to saying you know what uh it's all i can get these are these actually are pretty good uh, you know, they draw right and they smoke pretty good and they taste pretty good. I, you know, they didn't taste like they did when I smoked one cigar 10 years ago from my father. And so I think you're going to see a lot more dual use. And uh, as availability continues to be challenged from tobacco all the way to rolled cigars, uh, you know, with, with New World being in there now for many, many years, um, this, is, this is a great opportunity for all New World companies that are already present in the shops i i don't see this any part of this being a downside for new world uh manufacturers one thing and then i'll try to set abe up here uh i think it actually starts before that i, I think that the thing that hasn't been talked about enough is if you are a not a, a mark bendon so not cigar world in, in dusseldorf you're a small or medium-sized tobacco shop i i don't know what you're doing if you're not going to be willing to switch to non-Cuban cigars. Yeah. And How so I think it's going to start well before the consumers have their say, because some of these shops, I have no idea how they can possibly stay alive if they're not willing to say, we're going to you know, buy as many Cuban cigars as we get our hands on, and every euro that's left over, it's going to buying non-Cuban cigars, because otherwise, what the hell are we going to sell? And well, Charlie, you, can, Charlie, you can you can see just to from up. yeah. Sorry, you can see before you get to this. So you can see so two things. One, I, you know, I go into a shop in Paris that five years ago had just because they're friends with Christian Row or whatever, right. they have a few boxes over here, but everything else is like entirely like a, Habanos. Right, and yeah. then now you go from that extreme to they're willing to buy anything to you have these distributors coming. To, well, there was probably as many international buyers at PCA as there were 
American, I mean, it's exaggeration, but there was a lot of international buyers at the trade show. And where I used to get, you know, two or three a month of, of people from wherever, UAE, whatever, asking, we get daily requests from people in these countries because there is no inventory. So they're already there, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, my setup for Abe was like, I mean, I just, I can't imagine a world where, I mean, I don't know, Abe, you can't imagine a world, because I don't think you've ever been in this position, where 85% of your sales are with one vendor, and then that vendor says, sorry, we can't supply you anymore, or, or we're going to do our best to supply you, which is basically nothing, and you're not even in the smoke-in position, you're in a, we've had one cigar store not in Paris, we're in a suburb you know, and the shop's been around for a hundred years and, you know, we have enough money to pay us and an employee and that's kind of it. And, and now well, it's and just what, nothing to sell. And what we can supply you, by the way, just went up 400%. So have fun with that. We start, but I don't, I mean, I don't off. think they're going to complain about that because you need something to sell. Yeah. And a lot of them, a lot of them, Charlie are asking for private labels. So, you know, X shop in, in Paris, that's been there forever. Um, owns trademarks for their own private stuff, and they're, maybe they're not willing to start trying to grow Tatuaje and Roma, but they're definitely wanting to get inventory of their own private label stuff from the factories in Nicaragua and the Dominican and Honduras. Dave, I tried. <laughs> no worries. Not, well, not, and, not really a topic that relates to me that much. Well, the it, it I, I the second half of the question kind of should lean in your direction and that is so with the lack of availability and massive price increases of habanos product in europe and i'm not saying that i'm not saying that nicaraguan and dominican companies are going to start you know rubbing their hands together and doing the you know the the evil cackle saying oh we can raise our prices now to you know make more money over in europe but it it would stand to reason that if if Habanos raises their prices, let's let's say just pulling a number out of the air, two hundred percent on these markets in Germany, for example, and they they raise the prices on those, and then the uh, let's say and, and I'm just going to name a company out of out of the air because it was already mentioned. Hoya says, well, all these shops in Germany are selling this this Habanos product now for 200% more than they were selling it for yesterday, we could easily raise our prices on our Hoya product in those German shops 15%, and it's still going to feel like a bargain to the customer. At what point, if the, if the and I'm not saying they're going to do that, but if they do raise those prices, that 10 or 15%, just to you know try to get a little extra money for their effort in Europe, at what point are those price increases going to be felt in the United States, if at all? Abe. I'm jealous of Charlie right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just go on the Dude, record and say I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. question in the history of any interview I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to watch that and record it in time how long that was. But listen, all I can tell you is, one is, I don't think... I don't think that the the, the, the New World manufacturers are going to play that game of jacking up prices in one country um, or, or, you know, in the European market and not jack them up here because of what's going on there. I, I, just don't, I just don't think that's a business model that many of them are going to follow. 
And if you want to talk about the prices of cigars here, I don't think they're going to raise their prices of cigars here, but I'm going to tell you what. I was a little surprised that a lot of new cigars are coming out that are $20, $30 ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, even Merrifield $80 ranges. I mean, so, I mean, one of the things my operations guy said to me is that he couldn't believe how many new cigars that were coming out that were just in the, like, ultra premium price point. So the re- so the fact, if you look at it from a factory perspective, Matt, and, and to what Abe just said, if you look at it from a factory perspective, you you labor is a is a no matter where the cigar ends up going, or what label gets put on it, the, the tobacco costs almost about the same for every cigar. The the packaging varies a little bit. The 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 labor costs about the same every cigar, right? So if you only have so much capacity and so much tobacco. You're going to try to put that tobacco, if it's high quality, into a product, and you're going to try to sell it to, to the market that's going to pay the highest price for it. So what will happen over time, the elasticity of demand is going to determine how much they can, they can increase. If these $30 cigars, if nobody buys them, the prices will go back down, and those, those will die. If those get bought up, then they'll make more of them, right? If, if they can sell more to Europe and, and, and the demand is going up and going up, and they're asking for more and more and more, then the price will go up. Because they're making a choice between sell, sending it here or sending it to the U.S., so you know it, um, it's the market's going to decide where those things happen, and it, and the market is going to judge whether those decisions to sell thirty-dollar cigars is, are a good decision. But like I said earlier, there's a lot of different segments of the market. I'm not the thirty-dollar uh, cigar guy. I'm an eight-dollar, you know, five cigar, seven cigar a day guy. So, but there may be a one cigar a week or a two cigar a week guy where $30 or $20 doesn't make any difference to him. Yeah. And I agree with you, I guess. And, and Abe's right. I was super long winded with the question, but the fact is I'm just looking for kind of the lowdown between does, is the, is the cigar market in Europe too small to have any effect, even, even a few years down the road on pricing in the U S collectively no, it's no. not, okay. but the issue is, is that Habanos is playing a different game. They are a monolithic beast that has competed in these markets with basically no competition. You know, Hoya okay. was the, the sort of lone outlier of here's a company selling cigars where more than half of their sales are not in the U.S. Pretty much everyone else you saw at the trade show is the exact opposite of that and yeah. has been the opposite of that. And, I mean, the first thing that came to mind when you were, you know, uh, doing your essay for Abe was <laughs> that somebody like Oliva is just not going to let this happen. Oliva will be glad to say, you know what, we see everyone like in this hypothetical scenario that I don't think is going to happen. But if everyone else, say, raises their prices by just 30%, Oliva, STG, and pretty much everybody else. But let's just say for the sake of this, you know, hypothetical that will be quite long, probably, that it's everyone except Oliva. Oliva would just sit there and go, you know what, we'll just buy shelf space. Even if our costs went up 40%, we will not raise prices and just undercut everyone else. And once we put enough of them out of business, then we can slowly increase our prices and get all that profit back. But Habanos hasn't had to play that game because I don't know what the number would be, but in, I would venture to guess the majority of places they are sold, the vast majority of cigars in that retail store have been Cuban cigars. And so they haven't yeah. really been competing against anyone else. Um, whereas in the America, like it, it just wouldn't work. Somebody would say, I'm just going to go and, and be the guy that's known for making $9 cigars. 
Well, even yeah. if it came legal tomorrow in the United States, Cuban cigars would still go more to Asia than to the U.S. That's yeah, in Asia so. we barely even we barely even touched on Asia, but I mean I know they're growing, but but and there's obviously a higher overall population density, but there's there's fewer cigar smokers than the United States, correct? There's a lot less consumption, right? Yeah. The consumption in the U.S. is greater by almost 2x of the entire consumption of the rest of the world combined. Yeah. Well, and, and looking at Habanos, like Oliva, Charlie, um, I, I picture, you know, cigars that I'm not saying they, they taste remotely similar. I'm just saying from an appearance standpoint, a size standpoint, I look at a Ramon Iones specially selected next to an Oliva G Robusto. I'm I'm gonna buy the Oliva G Robusto all day long, versus over the 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 Cuban Iones uh, for a number of reasons. But um, primarily yeah. because you can't buy a Ramon Iones, that's gonna be the biggest issue. And that's gonna be the yeah, it's gonna come down to availability. And you've it's also been conditioned out. different than than those consumers. Well, yeah, that's true. Because because yeah. the uh, I've I've smoked a hundred times more. Series G Robustos than I have, you know, specially selected. So, yeah. I mean, I, well, I think there's just a consumer behavior thing that's being discounted here. Like the the people that are entering cigar smoking in Europe and the U.S. and everywhere, like they, they aren't no strong preconditioned. Yeah. And also, the ways that they interact with the outside world, for the most part, are going to mean that they are much more likely to see a show like this than the people right. that are sitting in Davidoff of London where they sit every day, you know, on Tuesday, this is the spot they sit, they go buy their one cigar, they smoke their cigar, they chat with their friends. So the old school Cuban cigar smoker, like that is a dying breed for the same reason why you talk about, you know, <laughs> we were having the Sancho Panza conversation earlier, like also those people are leaving the market. And, and I think that that's happened in Europe. Um, and I also think that the efforts by the non-human manufacturers to go over there and to really market like they do in the U.S., um, whether that be with in-store events, which is something that is completely foreign to you know, most European stores, whether that be with social media, whether that be with swag, like that's all stuff that by and large doesn't exist, you know, not in every instance, but for the most part with Habanos, like that's not been what they've been doing because once again, they haven't really had to compete with anyone. Right. Yeah, if you get a if you have a can koozie that says Cohiba on it, it definitely was not given to you by anyone from Habanos SA. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, if everybody's good with that, I want to move on to the next subject. All right. So, uh, July fifth, uh, the announcement of the federal court ruling uh, that the FDA acted improperly um so is this is this a long-term victory or is it just a short-term uh <laughs> you know uh feel good measure i can physically I, I can literally watch mctavish getting buzzed <laughs> see me I'm getting sure buzzed? He was drunk beforehand no <laughs> 
No, there's not enough. Unfortunately, there's not enough bourbon at high enough proof in this bottle. I'm going to pour another glass. I'm just just enjoying Charlie's reaction, sipping on the wine as he waits for Matt to stumble into the end of that question because he's he's just he's loaded and he's ready to go because he knew this was coming. Uh, does anyone else want to talk? I mean, Charlie's the most informed on this, in my opinion. So, I could just say something and then you can tell me all the ways I'm wrong, Charlie. And that's what I look That's for. usually how um, he sets me up. And then he flips it to Abe to Skip. make me look like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it's it's a very good win. I described it in one of the articles as, you know, as currently sits, it's a 9 out of 10. It could be a 10 out of 10. So to give you guys the 60-second version of what happened, uh, there's been an ongoing federal court case uh, filed by three cigar trade organizations against FDA regarding the cigar regulations that were proposed in 2016 or introduced in 2016. Um, many of these things, such as warning labels, uh, warning labels on advertising, uh, bans on packaging changes or making it very hard to do them, those things have been uh, thrown out. Uh, some of the things, the more arduous task of the deeming regulations, mainly product testing, have been put on hold as part of this ongoing court case, which has been going on since 2016. The decision on July 5th was basically that the FDA, when it was evaluating these regulations um, in between 2014 and 2016, it had proposed an option or options. Uh, option one was to regulate all cigars the same. Option two was to regulate a subset of cigars, which were hypothetically defined as premium cigars. Uh, I won't get into the definition to potentially regulate them differently. And the FDA asked for evidence uh, from both the public and companies and trade groups and health groups uh, to propose why or, or to support why FDA should either choose option one or option two. In 2016, FDA chose option one to regulate all the cigars the same. What the court ruled was that the FDA did not properly evaluate evidence that may have supported a case for option two. Um, And that is a no-no as part of the rules that govern FDA. And uh, as such, the court is currently evaluating whether or not uh, the entire rule for premium cigars should be thrown out. So basically, uh, the cigars that Skip sells and the cigars that Abe sells, for the most part on Abe's behalf, uh, would just not be regulated by FDA or there's the option that FDA could be forced to by the court to go back and sort of start the process from let's say step two as opposed to step one um the general consensus amongst the cigar industry the people that you know are much more familiar with this is that regardless of how the court decides whether they say step one or step two this is probably a pretty indefinite hold on cigar regulations. FDA has publicly stated that these types of cigars are its lowest priority. Um, and it's also shown just basically no desire to regulate these things. It's also worth pointing out that FDA has got major, major things in front of it, uh, major policy decisions, including a potential ban on flavored cigars, a potential ban on menthol cigarettes, and a potential limit on nicotine in cigarettes, as well as the regulation of e-cigarettes, which is a complete mess. Those four things uh, make it even less likely that they would want to spend time um, and resources dealing with premium cigars, which they don't really care all that much about. And and the recent Supreme Court case about about um, about EPA, EPA and and the Federal Register um, also applies to any kind of regulatory, which which works in our benefit as well. Yeah, I, I think I, in particular I, yeah. for the flavored cigar stuff. The EPA case is going to, it's a massive win if you're in the flavored cigar menthol cigarette world. 
Um, and for those, or, the, or the very short version, of, the vape one will be interesting. But yeah, I, I think because the vape, there probably is enough congressional support for Congress to go back and clarify it. For those that don't know about the EPA ruling, the short of it was the Supreme Court ruled that unless Congress has given an executive agency explicit instructions about regulations, uh, there's going to be a much more difficult pathway to agencies like FDA or EPA creating rules. So if Congress says, FDA, we give you the authority to regulate tobacco, it probably needs to specify the types of products and the types of regulations that it would like to see. This was a recent Supreme Court ruling, so it's going to be interesting to see how the court system sort of evaluates what the Supreme Court said. Um, but it's certainly, if you work for the Department of Justice, you know, on behalf of the FDA and, and sort of defending regulations, uh, your job just got a hell yeah. of a lot less productive. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things I was, I was worried about, you know, five, six, seven years ago was that I, I wasn't sure how willing the federal court system was going to be to, to really get granular with the details, you know, surrounding pre, surrounding tobacco products. Uh, specifically cigars and and the the whole umbrella that you know cigars can contain and it seems at, at, at least in the last few few rulings that they're willing to get very granular uh when it when it comes to defining specifics so that well to me, that's encouraging well what, that's yeah, not new what, what meta basically did which i you know we've all lost a lot of faith in institutions and you know, from the very beginning, the day that the deeming regulation came out, I said three things. Basically, I said, "A, I have faith in the institutions to to uphold kind of the rule of law and and the the, the you know the kind of the fairness in process, and and two, um, the reason part of the reason why we're in this is because we failed to kind of uh, do some of this ourselves, and we let Cretech and other people kind of drag us down into." this battle over, you know, is this, what is a cigar? And then the third thing was, let's, let's not fight the, the freedom, you know, you know, the Braveheart freedom yell, let's, let's go and, and let's understand that we're probably subject to regulation. Let's go fight. We're not going to win it by getting Congress to do their job. We're not going to win it by, by, uh, you know, making a freedom argument or a first amendment argument or whatever. We're going to make, we're going to win it by being, by being by the facts and the fairness of the process, which is, you know, and at the end of the day, what Meta said was, I'm not getting into the details of of how the minutia of how you do regulations. I'm saying you guys did not educ you know, do a fair process. And so if a fair process is done, cigars are not have a different health effect. Cigars are not marketed to youth and are therefore you know should be regulated differently if at, you know if at all in terms of priority and then the epa thing says well maybe, maybe you, unless congress gives you the specific authority to regulate in a specific way maybe you don't even have the right to regulate well, that classic way argument pancakes versus waffles <laughs> Sorry about that. yeah so yeah so for me i'm grateful um i feel like um i feel like you know we kind of put faith in the system and 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 it was it turned out to be well placed um, I'm grateful at the end of the day that the well thought out comments in the public comments of CRA and, and IPSPR and some others really became a, a pivot point for Meta. And I'm very grateful that we have this guy on the bench who, who's not a, you know, a tobacco jihadist and he, he wanted fair process. And, and um, in the end, we uh, benefit from that. Thanks, Obama. 
I'd just like to clarify two things. The first is that uh, that comment was only by the CRA. Um, right. They so will, yeah. They will defend that. It, the, the comment was different from the IPCPR and the CA. Uh, the, the second thing is that the, to Skip's point about the evidence will show, there, there is no evidence. Um, that's part of the problem, and that's part of FDA's responsibility. Um, Skip is absolutely correct that Meta said, I'm basically not going to look to see whether or not you have the evidence to support it, though he did in the case of whether or not children are using premium cigars. He, he did briefly go into that. Um, but the, the NASM report that came out in May was pretty clear that there's just not evidence about premium cigar health effects and what very little exists is tends to be old evidence and derivative evidence and you know, I think that this is what makes the, the pathway for FDA to regulate this, regardless of, of the next step, if made it says go back to step one or step two, is that FDA is going to have to clear the bar of it needs evidence. And the, the cigar industry is going to be able to say, look, you have been considering this since 2014. You allegedly were regulating this industry since 2016. Part of your budget is designed so that you can study these issues. And it's not acceptable for you to just come back and say, well, we don't have any new evidence, but we still think these products should be regulated because they're called cigars and they contain tobacco yeah. in them. Right. Um, I think that's going to be an uphill battle, particularly after EPA. Yeah, and that, that goes right in with what, I mean, Skip used the term rule of law, and that's that um, you, you can't be forced to, pro to be uh, put in a position where you have to prove a negative. The, the cigar industry doesn't have to prove child or youth use statistics the fda has to prove uh, the the cigar industry doesn't have to prove the lack of youth use statistics the fda has to prove their so-called evidence of youth use statistics and they don't yeah, have but, but we but we do have we do have an ethical obligation and also professional no, responsibility to, to, to not allow children to, to buy our products and to not market to them. And without getting into the whole cartoon, I don't think a lot of those things that people have been, you know, the munchies or whatever, I don't think those things are targeted at children. I think um, if they're sold in, I think the, the, the fresh packs that are sold at the Seven Eleven are more tar more likely to be consumed by children than than the munchies and a and a retail tobacconist in Minnesota, right? So it's kind of where we place it, how we we put the faith in our in in our retail partners to to keep it uh, away from kids, to to for ourselves to to keep on top of making products that 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 don't have a lot of you know other things in it outside of naturally cured tobacco, and to try to be you know. Uh, cognizant of the fact that we, we we need to make sure where we we are not positioning our products in a place where that could swing that data um that that allows them to prove that that children consume our products right yeah uh, i just want to refute one thing that matthew, that matthew said. said we actually do have to prove the negative um the court system has been you know when you challenge a, a claim that the the regulators make about you know, a good example is warning labels and their effectiveness. The Supreme Court has said that, you know, the warning labels that they use, the non-graphical warning labels are not effective. And therefore, uh, you know, trying to increase the size in the U.S. has been something that they, the regulators have not been able to win. But that's because there's actual evidence that says that. 
But in the if there's no evidence on either side or very little of it, the courts have generally let FDA, you know, and, and the agencies before that or the regulations before that, they've let them do it. That there's, from what I understand, I'm not an attorney, but there is a deference to the scientists uh, when it comes to the science. And, you know, in this case, if if Meta was forced to look at the data, like, it, it's not great. Like, FDA's case is terrible, but that's not what he did. He said you had a 27-step process and you skipped step 23, not you don't have the evidence. Um, and right. I don't think it's a good idea for the cigar industry to assume going forward that just because FDA doesn't have the evidence doesn't mean that a court wouldn't uphold it. Uh, I think it would be a lot more challenging given the current circumstance, but three years ago, I, I don't think that would have been a winning pathway. And in fact, okay. we tried it like in this lawsuit and it did not work. Right. No, and that's good. I appreciate that clarification. Definitely. Um, uh, John, what I know, you know, you're, you're up there in, you know, uh, what's it called? Canada. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know, you know, things, things are, you're in a, a different ball game up there because regulation is absolutely out of control and pricing is out absolutely out of control. So, um, great, great deals on Cubans compared to the world market, though. So we got that going for us. <laughs> yeah, because the government the government owns the market, just like alcohol and uh, marijuana. Yeah. So what 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 is the what is the marketplace looking like? Is it is it dismal or is there any is there any ray of hope for your marketplace up there? Um. Well, I think, uh, I mean, as far as Canada goes, and Abe kind of talked about this, is that the marketplace has basically created a situation in Canada in which if you're successful, what you do is a a brick-and-mortar store, then you already do a number of things right just by the measure of the fact that you're still in business. So if you do, and unlike the United States, uh, you really can't run a tobacco store here and do a bunch of things incorrectly. You can't even really do a number of things incorrectly or you will simply be out of business. The profit margins are lower. The, um, the ability to smoke cigars indoor doesn't exist. Um, the, the, the packaging has been created uh, to be plain packaging. So, you know, there's, there's a, a number of things working against you. But that said, the retailers that have managed to weather the storm so far uh, from the ones that I've talked to are actually posting double digit growth. So, uh, they seem to be doing just fine in the market and, you know, we'll see how long that lasts before the next, whatever regulation comes down. But for the time being, the ones that have managed to weather the storm by doing all the things right, seem to be in business and, and happy to be doing business. Yeah. yeah. But the, when the, the, when the lions pick off the, the, the weakest in the herd, the rest of the herd eats better. Right. But that doesn't mean that 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 the, the future looks good for the herd. Right. No. And I, I certainly the lions didn't mean are eventually yeah. going to come for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly didn't mean to position it as the uh, the to, the future of tobacco in Canada looks positive because I think in a long enough timeline, uh, ultimately, you know, whether it's five years down the road or 10 years down the road, uh, prohibition is almost certainly the outcome whether it's prohibition by the, the measure of making products so expensive that it's simply unaffordable and there's an entire gray market, black market, which technically already exists in Canada anyways. Um, yeah, I think that's inevitable. And, uh, you know, that was always my fear for the United States is that the moment you let the, the slightest crack open on, on any sort of regulation like this, it, it really never ends because you're just fighting a continuing lose, losing battle of, um, the next regulation, which makes it that much more difficult to overturn. So 
back to sort of what Charlie was saying, you know, this is all extremely positive news for the American market. And, um, you know, that's where I get my cigars. So, yeah, I mean, so we had Canada distributors coming into us at the booth and saying, hey, will you sell product right. to us? And the, and the answer was no. Why not? Because the because for a company our size and the amount of product we're, you're going to be able to sell of our product, even if you sold it like crazy, we can only make so much. Yep. So so it's not worth us creating a whole different set of packaging just for you. It's not worth us doing all the jumping through all the hurdles. And so the market then kind of just gets owned by the companies big enough to do that. Right. And then when the only the companies that are big enough to do that become the market, then the dynamicism of the market starts to erode, new smoke, smoker starts to erode, the market itself starts to erode. So then you have a demand problem from the bottom and a, and a regulatory problem from the top. And then the industry just kind of dies, right? You know, a slow, painful death. And so for us, you know, for me, the FDA thing has been a lot more about how it revealed the internal fractures and divisions in our own industry and how we, we weren't able to kind of rally around it in a way to, to fight the real, uh, you know, kind of battle. We couldn't agree on it. We, we start, people started trying to draw lines in certain places to, to create competitive advantages. Um, it became, you know, who's relevant, who's not relevant, finger pointing, da, 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 da. And then we ignore the, the real questions, you know, um, and, and, and those are all kind of signs of an unhealthy industry. And so I mean, Skip, if we, do you think we fixed that? I don't think we fixed it. I think the threat has kind of gone away and, and the fractures are still there. We just we just haven't addressed that problem. I mean, like, you know, we talk about PCA this, PCA that. Um, and this may be one of your topics. But at the end of the day, what it all boils down to is, is a trade so relevant? And uh, can you get retailers there to buy cigars? Everything else doesn't matter. It doesn't help pointing fingers at people and saying, hey, you're not here to help us fight the fight, blah, 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 blah. It's like, let's let's solve the real root problem and then it's all compete in an open fair market you know and so um it, the regulatory environment is like that for me you know and that and again that's part of the reason why we've set our company up to be a certain size and not have to even fight a lot of those battles because while we certainly draft off and we appreciate uh and we try to contribute as much as we can um it's just counterproductive for us to get dragged into those ki kinds of things also, I mean, if you took all this for, sorry, was that what, Charlie? That's what Skip's Facebook page is for. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I, you know, I try. You know, whatever. I think if you took all the cigar smokers across Canada, I, I said this many times before. I, I doubt that it, it's even the total number of cigar smokers that exist in New Hampshire. So, the the the, the Canadian market is really irrelevant. I feel like I'm hey, doing it. Yeah. Exclusive. Oh. What what I feel like. I'm I feel like I'm doing an Instagram duet right now. <laughs> well, so I, I have kind of a, a directly related um, retail question for Abe, and, and this is for everybody, but I want to start with Abe. Because let's say the hammer finally drops on flavored cigars. What is, I mean, from what I've heard from a lot of retailers, they they sell a lot of infused and flavored products. What is that going to look like for for you going forward? If 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 a year from now the hammer drops on flavored cigars and it's all over, you asking me? Yeah. So I mean, look, I'm a retailer. 
I'm the last guy that, I mean, the infused cigar guy's got to worry about it. Because if they drop the hammer on flavored cigars, we sell other cigars. You sell what you sell. You sell what you can sell. And if you know what? If the whole cigar industry or if cigars get shut down tomorrow, guess what? I sell my inventory and I find something else to do. Sal Fontana, one of the best mentors I ever had in my life, gave me the best advice one day. He says, moving heaven and earth won't change something. Why waste time worrying about it? You know? I mean... Are, are flavored cigars a percentage of our business? Absolutely. If we lose it, does that mean those people won't convert to normal cigars? Some will. Some won't. The ones that don't, and if it affects your bottom line that much, you find some ancillary other product to sell. That's what a good retailer does. You don't stop selling because something becomes unavailable to sell. Like the point John was trying to make earlier, or somebody was, you know, I think it was Charlie, you know, if you got no Cuban cigars in the European market, how could you be adverse to get whatever you can to sell? You get what you could sell, your retail, your sales. So, I mean, me on a personal point, the way we run our company, it's not some, I mean, listen to me, don't want to see it happen. I think it's part of our industry. I think it's, I think it's a quality product that a lot of people enjoy, but that happening is not the end of the world for my organization on a personal level. So, um, I mean, yeah, it does. It, we either pivot, we change, we find something to make up for any kind of look. There, there are things that happen across the time of any course of business where sales have you've lost sales, either something has happened or whatever, and the savvy retailers find ways to pivot and, and win some market back either in the same segment or an ancillary segment that's similar to yours. Well, what a lot of people don't think about, Abe, is, you know, and I don't even know if if Blondies are at risk, for example, but let's say Cuba, Cuba and Blondie, which are a big skew for a, a lot of retailers. Um, if if John and, 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 and those guys are not buying the Seco and the kind of other kind of long filler stuff that, that they buy, um, to make those millions of cigars, that and there's no market for that. That makes the to, the rest of the tobacco in the plant more expensive for the rest of us, which means the the most premium of cigar consumers will see a cost and price increase just because flavors went away, regardless of what happens in the retail environment. That's what's happening on the supply side. Right, and I'm not trying to be unsympathetic, but once again, a manufacturer problem. Right. As a retailer, we don't care about price increases. In fact, it's a it's a consumer problem, right? Well, not always a consumer problem, and I'll explain to you why. As well, a retailer, yeah, well, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, right. As a retailer, price increase all that means is the value of my company just went up because all the inventory I have just increased in value. Um, as a consumer, when you're poised with a price increase, consumers are going to do one of two things: if they're really hard on the brand, they love the brand, it goes up they're going to pay the more money for the brand, whether the manufacturer raises it 5 10 or 15%, which means that same consumer now I'm generating more revenue on. Right. If the brand gets priced out of, I mean, it's just realistic retail here. You know, I'm not sure coding anything. If the brand gets priced out of that consumer's price range and he's comfortable spending his $6.50, $7 a stick, and now his favorite cigar became 9 the consumer typically just finds another $7 stick and he's going to keep trying until he finds one he enjoys. Because right. if you have people that are price driven, that's what they're going to do. If you have people that are brand driven, you know, 
that, that's what they're going to do. So on a retail level, it's, it's not that impactful to us as it is to you guys on the manufacturing side. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, what you're saying is is that just because my costs go up 30% doesn't mean I can just automatically increase my price 30% and expect people to buy the same number of cigars. It won't happen. That's right. Right, right. Okay. But that doesn't mean that your people will smoke less cigars. Right. But it may take some manufacturers or some brands out of the market. It, it, that it may. Yeah. Right. Um, so one of the one of the things that that happened recently kind of made me start thinking about how this particular type of event in the cigar industry affects consumers and retailers so room 101 cigar brands sells to stg and then i thought about you know back in uh 2014 or 15 when drew estate sold to swisher international and then if you go way back when CAO sold to General Cigar. Um, what are the what are the pros and cons for consumers and retailers when when sales like and I realize there's differences in scale, you know, between Room 101 selling and Drew Estate selling, but what are the pros and cons for consumers and retailers when when acquisitions like this happen? Uh, Charlie, let's start with you. Um. I, I mean, it depends. If you were a fan of Taranio, uh yeah, Taranio's another good example. You got example. some great cigars on discount for a little while, and uh, now they basically don't <laughs> exist. So, yeah. uh, that's Found one home. option. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I mean, like, I, I just don't... Uh, the thing with Room 101 that's interesting is that because of the, the end of the Davidoff relationship, which was how most of Room 101's history in the cigar world was whereas you know room 101 was not owned by davidoff but was manufactured and sold by davidoff in the u.s and, and around the world um and now and then they you know matt re quote unquote retired and then seven months later was back with you know more or less all new lines new distribution new manufacturing partners like we've kind of already seen a, a room 101 1.0 room 101 2.0 and now this might be room 101 3.0 but I, I just don't know because I, I also am not, you know, I'm not sure that I really understand Room 101 2.0, so the most recent chapter. I'm not sure where exactly they were in the marketplace. Um, and, yeah, I, if, if General's past is any indication, um, I suspect that there will be a big push. And if it's worth General's time, and this sort of gets back to that Sancho Panza conversation from earlier, you know, General sells a lot of cigars, uh, probably more than anyone else, and they have a lot of brands, and they have plenty of capital to invest in any of those brands if they want to reinvent Sancho Panza or if they want to reinvent Macanudo. And as such, it's just not good enough just to be profitable. They need to make sure it's worth their time, and I think that's an uphill battle for Sancho Panza and Taranio before it, and, and certainly for Room 101 going forward. Um, but I think the most likely thing for consumers is you're going to see, at least for the short term, um, and if it's successful for the long term, you're going to see a lot more of these Sancho Panza-like rebrands. Um, Matt's creativity and, and his sort of style, I think, is going to become prominent on a number of General Cigar uh, sold labels, and we'll see how that goes. But as far as what it means for Room 101, I mean, I suspect that it's not going to surprise me if we come to learn that, you know, 
some of the cigars continue to be made the same way and some of them um you know maybe general says hey look uh we need to take a different approach so uh different blends different factories etc that that would not be surprising i don't know of any of those plans but you know given their history and and sort of the, the basic facts of the company that would seem like that's probably on the horizon the last thing i'll say uh because i think abe's probably the, the next person that should talk about this because he knows more about room 101 sales than i do flipping the, to you the, abe. the only other thing i'd say is uh, it you know, I think you should probably expect there's going to be some Room 101 private labels showing up at Cigars International um, and, and their partners, Thompson, Cigarbit, etc. Because uh, if I was running SCG and, and we just acquired Room 101, that's something I would certainly do, and, and they've certainly done that before. Abe, what do you think? Well, well look, I think there's a different scenario than, than a lot of the other um, prior ones that have occurred. And the fact that, for general... You know, can I say it like this? Probably. I think they've acquired their first personality, right? I mean, is Rick Rodriguez, was he a personality? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, if you look at the room, I mean, Charlie, you saw it yourself. If you looked at the Room 101 booth, it was one of the more happening booths at the trade show this year. Um I mean, stripper pole, cash machine, talk about penises. What's, what, what is there not well, there to Matt appeal? Booth. Well, that's Matt yeah. Booth. Glory yeah. hole. Yeah. That's, that's, that's Matt Booth. It's always been Matt Booth. <laughs> I, think, I think Matt Booth has been, um, has, has been chugging along in this industry, being himself, developing some kind of following of people who love what he does and love what he represents. But I think Matt never really had a decent infrastructure nor backing because um, there are certain aspects of his industry and just as someone who knows Matt personally and he doesn't really want to deal with. I think right. I think those aspects are going to come from this new uh, partnership. And um, I'm not sure if you'll see Room 101 CI branded stuff immediately. Um, you know, general with their development of Forged and their two different companies and how they're working, I, I I think they may be a little bit more leery to make the moves of what basically ends up being a brand killer. Um, you know, when they immediately acquire something, when they make moves like that, because then it just gets tossed out almost every retail door. So I don't know if historically um, that model or they might jump down that same road again with Room 101. Um I do think that good things may come out of this. I think I think good things for both parties. I think I think there's a there's a symbiotic relationship there that that could be beneficial for both those parties involved there. So, um, you know, and and this industry is weird because I was overseas when 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 this all went down, and then I, I didn't really have a chance to read a lot about it. But that I saw some people were upset, felt like he sold out, which is was a Something I just never understand why consumers yeah. get so hell-bent on this. Because, you know, I mean, look, most of us are working for an endgame to be acquired, some kind of acquisition. And this guy didn't do that. I think he just positioned himself where he kind of can do more of what he loves to do. And then, right. have, and then have the structure and the backing to maybe even do what he likes to do even better. So, I, I, and, and at the day, the guy's got kids. He's got a wife. He's got to feed his family. So yeah. anybody who criticizes that just has no real world perspective. And then the other thing is, you know, I, mean, I think there was the same crying when Drew Estate sold. And look at Drew Estate today. They got oh, the hardest yeah. following or anybody. People forget, you know, it's all 
malarkey emotion in the moment. You know, every time I have a store manager who the clients all love, but you know, they don't see anything behind the curtain. They don't realize how awful they really are as employee and you replace them. There's always that, <laughs> Oh my God, how did you get rid of that guy? And literally two months later, nobody remembers that guy's name because the new guy's actually doing his job and he's real good. So, you know, it, it's hard to listen to what the consumers will cry about in the moment, but I think this may be, end up being a good thing for Matt Booth and, 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 Forge General, whichever division he ends up making cigars with. I still, Abe, you made a great point about Drew Estate. I still, to this day, I will never forget. I was in a cigar shop in the Twin Cities area. The day after the acquisition was announced that Swisher International was buying Drew Estate. And the very next day, some guy walks out of there, walks out of the humidor, and we're sitting down, we're smoking, and he's saying, man, these just... These League of Nines just don't taste the same since Swisher bought Drew. I was like, that's the same fucking box of cigars that's been on the shelf for two weeks that was shipped from the. Uh, 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 yeah, social media is going to. Yeah, but, but, but what happened is they overnight they acquired the, the <laughs> under. Overnight they acquired the undertones of betrayal, yeah, right? which is which is a bitter. Look, it's like it's like Abe said before: is there's people that have an emotional connection with a brand right, that supersedes right. the price thing, and, and of course they're going to be emotionally affected. I mean, Matt at at his heart, all his shenanigans aside, Matt is a solid dude, Absolutely. right? I mean, from and I've known him for you know on the edge and also a little bit personally for 12 years. He's a solid dude. Uh, he made this decision; it was his decision to make, and I hope it works out well for him personally and financially. I don't give a fuck how it helps. STG one way or the other, but I hope Matt gets squeezes every drop of it out of it he can and and walks away the winner, uh, you know, um, and and to and to and, you know to to Abe's point, you know I think Davidoff had that structure, <laughs> you know you can't argue that Christian uh, with Camacho or Davidoff later or whoever didn't have the structure to do for for Room One One Hundred One what what Scandinavia has. I can tell you this that. Acquisitions, mergers, uh, companies going out of business, companies um, starting up, those are all signs of a, a functioning market in a functioning industry. I, where I get worried, it's like where Abe said, where stores that really suck don't go out of business, where brands aren't starting up, where people aren't investing money in new stores, where, where really good brands aren't being bought at, at great multiples by other companies that can benefit and, and, and accelerate them. So. I think acquisitions are a sign, again, once again, of a functioning market. And so to me, that's a healthy sign for the industry, just like a new brand coming out. Some of the best ones succeeding and the, the ones that aren't doing it failing, that's a sign of a functioning market. And I like seeing that because it, I'm a part of a, a market that's alive and is working. Um, what, what I'll tell you from personal experience is no one out there right now is buying companies unless they're getting them at a discount. And so, you know, people who are selling companies, a lot of companies on the, on the block, there's people who want to exit the business. They're trying to cash out and get out. And, and they're, they're kind of saying, is this enough? And the company's trying to buy them or trying to pay as little as possible. You know, I'm sure what they tied Matt into is, you know, hey, we're going to buy you for X, which is not a great price, but it's not, it doesn't suck. We want you to come work for us. And we want you to bring value. And if you bring value and you grow our business and your business, then you'll get the other half of this package. But if not, you're not going to get it. And um, I hope that works out for Matt. 
I couldn't I couldn't last two weeks in Scandinavia to be honest with you uh, personally um, but uh, it, it's a overall it's a healthy sign of a functioning market when these kind of you know the thing falls from the tree it, it you know it erodes on the ground it creates bacteria that creates a new thing which grows a new tree that's all part of the cycle it's supposed to work and it seems to be working better now that the FDA shadow is off of us uh, it's good to see these things happening again I just want to make one comment about that one really it makes no there's no reason to even assume what kind of deal Matt got. It's irrelevant to the conversation. Just it, it is because he accepted I, I whatever. He, it was. I hope he gets a great deal. But the difference between Davidoff and SGD was Room 101 was in a distribution deal with Camacho when Camacho got acquired. It wasn't a relationship that festered between Davidoff and Room 101. It was just kind of all right. It came along with the deal. True. And. There really wasn't that. I know some of the trials and tribulations that Matt had. I, there wasn't really that. Okay, this is a guy we want to work with. This is a guy we need to help grow. This is where where I think that is how STG has gone into this deal, where they really hope that something develops there, and I think they're going to put more of a focused and concerned effort in working with Matt. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's, no, for there's no evidence that they've ever done that before, but let's hope that that's the case. I mean, that's wishful um, thinking, but. Yeah, but I, I mean, the, I, I agree with that. I mean, Sam that. was saying it lasted, what, two weeks, you know? Um, like, I agree. That's a, a concern. If, you know, SCG, I think more so than most, enjoys throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, on the flip side, though, like, you know, I started writing about cigars right when the CAO is coming to an end and going out of business because it was being, you know, merged into the, the general cigar portfolio and, Despite what the Crown Heads booth may want to argue, like General's done a fantastic job with CAO. It's not the same company as it was. It wasn't going to be that, but I, I bet Abe's doing a pretty decent job selling CAOs and is making a good money, you know, selling those cigars. And they've had some real bona fide hits with Amazon Basin. You know, they they've made right. some right. cult cigars that would have been astonishing to people that were, you know, reading Stogie Review in 2010 and. and not just right. you and other sites. I mean, that's and, that's, but the, and that's in spite of not having anyone from the family or the original organization. Yeah. And the, but the flip side of this, I think on the positive, you need to find a bright spot. It's everything you liked about Matt Booth at Room 101, that's coming to general. So, you know, maybe Room 101 doesn't follow the pathway that a consumer wants it to, but maybe you really like that new Central Ponzo that Skip's going to refuse to buy. And I don't think that's going to be the last cigar that, that Booth works on. And so, you know, perhaps we see better cigars, uh, you know, throughout the general portfolio that Matt has a hand in playing. Um, and I, I don't think that's something that should be overlooked. Um, but, well, I mean, look at, I mean, know, Justin I, Andrews I share those came, concerns that Skip had. Yeah, I mean, Justin Andrews came from Lou Rodriguez, right? And he had that real experience with, with boutique and with... Um, with you know what that means you know what those consumers want what what he wants to accomplish and he's had to kind of color within the lines to a certain extent and, and you know but for the most part the most exciting thing that they're doing over there to me is the stuff that justin touches right so hopefully that extends to mad and that becomes the most exciting stuff as well and so yeah. look again uh there's a whole bunch of different kinds of customers all the customers the better job that scandinavia does the better job for our industry the better uh, the job, the better it is for me. And so um, I don't wish anyone, um, you know, any kind of will, ill or whatever. I want the industry itself to function better. And 
for what it's worth coming from me, you know, uh, if I'm if I if I drink X craft beer and X craft beer gets bought by Anheuser, I'm more concerned about how they integrate it and what they do with it than I am the fact of who owns it. And so I'm happy for Matt. I hope he comes out with a crazy. I think I hope he does what Justin does even better, you know. And so I want I want I want them to succeed, and I and I yeah. want to build more cigar smokers, and I want a healthier industry. Yeah. Overall, I think it's exciting, and I think, I think in the end, it's um, if if general if if STG bringing in Matt Booth thought that he, if they have any inclinations that this is the the kind of personality, the kind of person that they they can put a leash on and and. Right, they got the wrong idea. Justin, really, yeah, go buy Caldwell. See how that you know that you're going to get the same thing. So just know what you're getting, right? Yeah, exactly right. And Justin really knows Matt, and 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 I think Justin knows what. I think they, I really do believe that this particular acquisition, although I'm not saying it's been done better or worse than others in the past, I'm saying I think this one really has uh has teeth and uh i i think it's exciting so uh, for for all parties involved i think uh it it has great potential um so let's jump into i think i'm just checking my questions here i don't have anything else for the regular segment of the show oh i got a question john how drunk are you now that we're halfway through the show (laughs) he's not i don't know I honestly don't know why everyone thinks I'm drunk. I, I really uh, would welcome you to attend a vertical whiskey tasting uh, <laughs> at any point. And yeah, Cigar Hustler has a sound bite of John. It's like, oh no. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I love that. that was, I love that. I thought that was pretty entertaining. It's nice. It's nice <laughs> to be reduced to a sound bite after ten years in the industry. I love that. I love it. <laughs> Abe's turning me into a meme. <laughs> right. I'm gonna exactly. I'm going to dig that up, Charlie. Oh, great. All right. So. It is time for this week's Numero de los Muertos. And as always, Numero de los Muertos brought to us by our friends at Smoke In. Oh. Got some After Effects on there. It's very fancy. Very oh, yeah. Fancy. So I had to come up with this Numero de los Muertos on the fly, very last minute, because Garrett texted us at, I don't know, a few minutes before the show. Oh, He's yeah. like, I'm puking my guts out. <laughs> I ate a gas station cheeseburger. I made a bad choice. So I can't be on the show. Better be good. So I had, to, I had to come up with this literally, like, sort of during the show. So... Um, I went digging around and found what I believe to be reliable data because we know everything on the internet's true. So, uh, but it looks like a very reliable source. So, uh, as always, uh, viewers, if you guys are on Facebook and YouTube watching live, you can guess along with our guests. 
in the comments. The number is 1,250. And that is 2017 through 2021 in the United States. 1,250 people died from this. Wait, what was the first number you gave us? 1,250, 1,250 people since between... That's over a five-year period, not annually. Correct. Total between 2017 and 2021, 1,250 people in the United States died from this. So about 250 people a year, roughly. Yeah. Although the numbers weren't... The the numbers were slightly skewed, but that's that's the total that I, I... I could have gone back further, but... We were in the middle of a show, and I didn't want to be on my phone. So, <laughs> is it botulism? No, Garrett. That's what you're about to die from. <laughs> and I'm is, it a, is it a job-related death? Uh, it is. Uh, it. No. Is it uh, disease or accident? Not disease. Would most likely, uh, would most likely be classified as accident? I think. Is is Florida as a state a massive outlier for the uh, for where this occurs? <laughs> Not to my knowledge, no. All right. Hmm. Uh, no, Q. Sex toys are not involved. You freaking weirdo. <laughs> Is it drug related? It is not drug related. Does it affect? Do you have to ingest something. You, it does not involve ingesting anything. Okay. Does it affect men more than women, or roughly the same? Uh, I don't have stats on that. My guess is roughly the same. Hmm. It's not job related. Animals, machinery, or natural phenomenon. Um. Mm, machinery. Yeah, I'll go. With, I'll say machinery is involved. Does it involve losing a body part? Um, possibly, but I don't really. There's no specifics on that. It's just. Is is it number of people that are killed on table saws? Nope, not table saws. Is it any kind of tools? Yeah. Tools. Uh, tools are not involved. No, uh, Jason, it is not motorcycles. Hold on. It so tools not are not involved, machines. but machinery is. Yeah. Could be uh, like a dump yeah. Truck. Yeah. I mean, dump truck, cement, uh, poor. Is it is it related to one particular segment like farming? It is. It is relegated to one particular segment. Uh, it is not farming. Which member of the YMCA, uh, the village people, is most likely to die of this? The cop. Definitely the cop. Okay. Is it number of police officers that die from uh, heat, heat exposure while on the job? No. Okay. Does it involve temperature? No. <laughs> um, more- ah! Steve Newman says more than twelve hundred and fifty non self defense. See, John's, John's on the right trend of trying to apply it back to a what's in the what's in the news. No, Steve, it is not related to firearms or concealed carry. No. 
Is it uh, people run over by their own vehicles? Uh, no. And it's not Does it involve drowning. a vehicle? Vehicles are involved. Mm. Vehicles are involved. Does it involve a motorcycle? Uh, not inherently is it, the answer. It, not inherently. Interesting. It could. It is not forestry accidents. It is not wood turn. It's not a sporting is event, it, is it? It is not a sporting event. Is it people getting hit on uh, the side of the road? Uh, uh no. Uh, people turning their car on while in the garage. No. Uh, somebody earlier said traffic stop uh, accidents. Not exactly. Daniel, not exactly, but you're approaching the right ballpark. Does the, does the car need to be moving or the vehicle need to be moving? Uh, not necessarily. It's not for flips. Number killed, of people that... Go ahead. Killed during traffic stops? No. You got to give us dark. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Can we use a lifeline? <laughs> Fifty-fifty. Is that that placing your testicles on the cold floor? We've already said vehicles. <laughs> vehicles are involved, but not specifically motorcycles. Correct. Um, number of people that lock themselves in their own thing. trunks. No. Deaths during driving classes. No. And remember that the the hint. There's a big hint that one of the guesses from the uh, our commenters, our viewers, uh, uh. Uh, was it traffic stops or traffic at, at intersection? It's a very, it's a particular type of intersection. Crosswalks, suicide no. circles. No crosswalks would be too low because the number of pedestrians would be in the tens of thousands. Not U-turns, not 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 roundabouts, <laughs> or suicide circles car, as you. Call the car them. doesn't need to be moving. It doesn't have to be, but it can be in some. Does cases. another vehicle need to be moving? Uh, yes. <laughs> people, people struck on the side of the road while pulled over. I was already guessed. One of the vehicles is not a car or truck or motorcycle. It's I mean, number of people hitting, hitting, um, hitting, uh, farm truck or, uh, tractor, farm tractors on the side of the road. We have a winner. We have a correct guess. Nice. Wrist, wristy. Boy, I would have totally okay. Running a red light, no. Trains. So people killed at train crossings. Train crossings. Trying to trying to get around the, you know those those signal arms that come down. People trying to sneak through before the train comes. Trains uh, are actually undefeated, believe it or not. The last years. <laughs> that is that is true. Yeah. So just uh, the numbers were. I mean, they have records going back. A very I mean, long time, but just from 2017 through 2021, 1,250 people a year in the United States alone died trying to beat a train crossing. I'll be honest, that seems really low. Given given having driven in the United States and seeing how Americans drive, that hey, seems really you. low. I, I would have I would expect that to be higher. Through an you hour drive. with John without an anti-American sentiment. <laughs> Got to keep it real, Skip. Got to keep people engaged. They're, they're, if they're angry, they're engaged. I wish I had the soundbite of that song from, from uh, Team America right now. 
Fuck you, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was this week's Numero de los Muertos. All right. So let's jump Bond- into. Smoke in. Sponsored by Smoke in. Dave, so if you didn't enjoy that segment, just brought to you by J.C. Newman Cigar Company, America's oldest family-owned premium cigar maker, creators of the popular Brickhouse, Perla Del Mar, Diamond Crown, and the American. J.C. Newman Cigar Company operates out of their 112-year-old El Relo Cigar Factory in historic Cigar City, Tampa, Florida. For more information on their cigars or their visitor experience, please visit J.C. Newman dot com all right sorry skip you can go ahead now i know you're trying to say something i was just saying if abe didn't enjoy that segment he just know that he paid for it (laughs) (laughs) um so the lightning round normally consists of multiple questions but we have a lot of guests and so we don't want to keep everybody all night and since a couple of our guests are on a short break i'm going to start with skip on this question. Um, so if you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, you cannot say money, cigars, or time. You could have an unlimited supply of one thing. What would it be? Clean drinking water. Oh, thinking about a- the future. That is a fantastic answer. Very, very prepper answer right there. But no, very, very good answer. If you th- um, if you think if you think oil is an issue right now, wait till water. Oh, yeah. Peak peak water, baby, it's coming. Yeah. Um. So, John, if you could have an unlimited supply for the rest of your life of one thing, what would it be? Uh, for me, I think it'd probably be uh, flight credits, like airline airline points. So I could just fly wherever I want, first class at any point, unlimited. That's a very. I think. I'm trying to remember who exactly, but somebody I think said that same answer once. But I agree. That's a that's a good one. Um, so Charlie, if you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, you can't say money, cigars, or time, but an unlimited supply of one thing. What would it be? I mean, I'd love to be able to eat and drink without repercussion oh so so like calories calorie free food i mean i don't want to eat calorie free food but like well that that still tastes (laughs) just as good as as real food yeah if i if my whoop strap says like hey you need to eat more like that'd be great just just (laughs) always said that olestra without the side effects yeah olestra without the uh the dumb and dumber moment at the end (laughs) Well, I, want, I want to ask Abe. I, I would have thought I'm... Charlie would have said. I would have thought Charlie was going to say hair conditioner. <laughs> Is that after water? So it's oil, water, and then conditioner wars. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you know, if it's you got the golden mane. <laughs> um, well, Abe is just going to have to miss out on this question. Uh, so let's move into. Our notable smokable for the week, and as always, notable smokables brought to brought to us by our friends at Ace Prime. Notable cigars, notable passion, notable purpose. 
Uh, so you guys remember the drill with this. Each week we name a cigar that we smoked recently that was notable to us. It could be a cigar that's been on the market for decades that we revisited for the first time in a long time or a cigar that's brand new that we tried for the first time ever. Uh, so Abe, since you're back on, I'm going to ask you, what was something you smoked very recently that was notable to you? Oh, little plug, little plug. Pretty much. Smoked about three or four yesterday, so that's it. That's my pick. Pope 2022 goes on sale tomorrow. Plug. <laughs> Love it. Uh, John, what Always about you? Selling. Always be selling. Always be selling. Um, I'm, I'm making my way through some of the uh, stuff from the show, so I smoked the Olmec uh, beginning of the week, uh, Sunday, and uh, I thought that was quite good. Um, other than that, you know, I'd go with the Homer answer, which is the Neanderthal because, uh, and I know it's a Homer answer cause skips on the show, but honestly, it's quite challenging for me to get Romacraft up here. So, um, when I can, uh, beg, borrow and steal to get them sent to, to Loomis, it's always a, a pretty good treat for me. Yeah. Uh, skip. What about Thank you? You, John. you got it, brother. Um, I smoked two cigars at the show that I really liked. I smoked a number that I didn't like. Um, the the two that I really liked, one I smoked going into the show knowing that it was going to be really good because I kind of saw it from average to great was the Maria Lucia from, from uh, Ooh, Luciana. I like that one too. I like that one too, actually. Sorry to interrupt. I'm and the second one is what Bear Plissick... Yeah, what declared what Bear Duplissy calls the agape, <laughs> the agape from um, from uh, <laughs> from <laughs> the agape from Eladio Diaz. Um, I'm really excited to see what Eladio is going to do. He's one of my favorite. Uh, Charlie knows he's one of my favorite tobacco guys. He's one of the one of the five people I think are a real legitimate master. Yeah. And so um, that agape, I, I don't know. There was maybe some kind of controversy behind or whatever ever really different and good and, and it did you you could never ever convince me that, that was dominican cigar and they say it's to smoke more of those yeah I, rem I remember uh i was listening to cigar hustler uh, a few weeks ago and and palmer was reading uh, that cigar and he he called it the agape and I I almost had to pull over I was laughing so hard I told them that maybe, when they were on the show maybe, last maybe or maybe I misattributed yeah maybe I misattributed yeah I think it was Palmer not Bear sorry Bear uh, Charlie what about you what's something notable you smoked recently uh, I mean I'll do the Homer answer too I I smoked I mean. Cellophane doesn't really tell much of a story, but, you know, a fairly old Cro-Magnon. Um, I smoked uh, the Jaime Garcia Reserva Corojo, Jaime Garcia mm -hmm. Reserva Especial Corojo, out of the CRA sampler. It's a potential new My Father blend. Uh, review comes out tomorrow. Uh, very, very different cigar than uh, what I'm used to, particularly for Nicaraguan Puros from the Garcias. So, uh, good cigar, and... Uh, like I said, I mean, you know, I think my father has a fairly well-established profile that is well outside of it. Yeah. Um, Justin, do you have a notable this week? Um, yeah, actually, I had that Room 101 Namakubi uh, Limited 2021. Oh, yeah, from, the, the purple one. Uh, we bought those while we were we, we were at... That's smoke in. It's a great smoke. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. 
it was a good one. I finally smoked it, so it's good. Nice cigar. Um, mine was uh, a, a show sample, actually, which, um, yeah, show samples are hit or miss, uh, regardless, of, honestly, of who they come from, uh, because Vegas is weird and shipping and all that stuff. But the the Veracu Blue from Tatuaje, I was I was really kind of happy about that cigar. I I've only smoked the one show sample, so I'm going to buy more at a local shop and and you know try them from the you know a retail box. But I was I was really happy with that blend. I thought it was not very I nice. S- I smoked it as well watching F1. I thought it was quite good. I, I've yeah. heard that from. Another Boy, one that was really good great. that I smoked at the show was uh, a small like. <laughs> Should I just pretend to be Skip? By 40. It was from the German engineering company. That was really good as well. Sorry, Skip, your 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 mic and stuff is going in and out. Or, or anything, but it was good. No, I was saying that the German precision. Oh, you made him repeat everything. Engineering company or whatever. They make these precision engineering with the sound here. Yeah, sorry, the, yeah. the sound and camera's going in and out. I, I tell you what, though, I don't know if it was me with the trade show this year. Maybe I was more attentive. Maybe I don't wasn't been paying attention much in the last few years. But I could literally open up a brand-new store and fill it up with every brand I never heard of. Yeah, I saw I, – I won't say I've seen – I saw more new on this show floor than I've seen on any other show floor, but I was – surprised in 2022 to see as uh, yeah. as many brands as I had never good. heard of. Oh, I didn't say it's bad. I'm just in shock. Yeah, I think it's a good thing, but um, I, I was not expecting that many. And not new brands. I mean, they're brands that have been selling cigars, you know, maybe for, for Yeah, I mean, it's good, though. It's good, though. Right? Abe? I think so. So, so Abe, Hey, skip, skip! You're not coming in, um, at all, buddy. Do you carry Placencia? Skip, if you can hear us, if you can hear us, okay, can you're you hear not me? coming in at all. We hear like every tenth word, and on like a 15 second delay. It's great. Yeah, and then he keeps yeah. talking like it's it's, it's, it's I can better. Hear you. It's not any better. Yeah, on, on his end it, it works fine, but but we're seeing all kinds. I, ca- of I caught Placencia, so that I caught Placencia. <laughs> That's yeah, what Abe, the only do you carry Placencia. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we've had Placencia since. For a long time, I don't know what the rest of that question yeah, is. Yeah, but if you can hear me, almost everything they're doing. If you can hear me, almost everything they're doing is really good, and the, the white label stuff, everything I smoke from them is great. Another that's, jumping, that's another, another jumping, never empty booth at the trade show this year. Yeah, yeah they, they couldn't we, get two steps in. The we booth. couldn't even get to them, uh, and then and I agree that, I mean, honestly, whether uh, whether it's the you know the the cosecha or you know 146 or the alma del campo or i've i've enjoyed pretty much everything um you know from from the stuff they've been putting out definitely um so let's uh let's hear about our coming attractions on the show 
Uh, and we are bringing those to you from our friends at AJ Fernandez. They now un- they now produce unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The day-to-day operations at Tabacalera AJ Fernandez are managed under the watchful eye of Mr. Fernandez himself in order to ensure superior quality. The AJ per- Fernandez portfolio of premium cigars provides a blend, strength, and flavor profile to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer, whether it's New World, Dias de Gloria, San Latano, Enclave, or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from A.J. Fernandez. So to let you guys know, next week on the show, that is August 1st. We are already coming up into the month of August, and we are going to have, returning to the show, we're going to have Eric Bay from Black Starline Cigars back on How About That Cigar Live. So very excited to talk to him again. Uh, so... John, I'm going to start with you. Where is the best place for viewers and listeners to keep up with everything you have going on? Developing Palettes, developingpalettes.com, Developing Palettes YouTube channel, Developing Palettes uh, Instagram. You know, just search for Developing Palettes. You can find our stuff. Look for, the, uh, look for the reviews that are over 10 minutes if you want to be entertained. Look for the reviews under 10 minutes if you want to find the good stuff. <laughs> um, Abe, where is the best place for viewers to find I out? I don't know, but what was me was John like having the bubble eye effect. Yeah, it was the, the green screen. It was, was great. Psychedelic. It was, great. It, was, it was awesome. Also, I'm not sure now, after this episode of How About That Cigar, whether there were more new cigar vendors at the trade show this year or more cigar sponsors in one broadcast that I've ever seen Whoa. on a show. So, very well done. You've been on you've been on Coop Show before, right? Very, very well. I'm just busting balls. Um, I'm just messing with you. Listen, follow Smoke In, Facebook, Instagram, social media. But if you really want to get some in-depth fun and what we do and a lot of cool things we do as far as giveaway and prizes and special drops. We got a private uh, group on Facebook, Smoke, Smoke In Socialites. Check it out. It's a really fun and a uh, great place to be. Uh, Charlie, where's the best place for everyone to find you guys? Uh, halfwheel.com, Halfwheel, everywhere else. Uh, I'm sorry that you guys didn't win the uh, Drew State contest, but maybe you'll get some. Uh, some <laughs> they need it. <laughs> <laughs> we need it. Uh, Skip, how about uh, for you guys, Rowan Craft? Uh oh. This could be my favorite broadcast ever with Skip Martin. <laughs> sadly, sadly, the connection's just going going wonky on us. Um, well, uh, I want to thank everybody for being on the show tonight. Uh, this this hold is on. Become- Don't we have like another hour? We, well, we nor- we normally do, but <laughs> don't make any big sudden movements. <laughs> no, this honestly, this has become one of my favorite shows of the year to do, to sit down with you guys and talk about the cigar world. Uh, I learn a lot from each and every one of you, uh, and I know our viewers do as well. So it really means a lot to you guys. Uh, and, and Skip, of course, I mean dude it's your birthday and you're here on the show with us so that uh, truly means a lot so thank you very much for uh being on the show happy birthday skip cheers this is so painful uh, for skip i know it's it's oh he's dying right now connections just falling thank you, apart Abe. i wish i could i was <laughs> 
Uh, so for our, all our viewers and listeners, guys, thank you so much for spending time with us live on Facebook and YouTube tonight. We appreciate it so much. If you guys have questions, please email us directly on the website. How about that cigar.com? Follow us on all social media at HBT Cigar. If you guys want to check out our PCA trade show coverage, you can find that on our website and our YouTube page. Uh, so be sure when you're on YouTube, click that beautiful red subscribe button. We would appreciate that so very much. And of course, guys, until we see you next time, burn cigars. Matt Bridges. Thanks, guys. Peace.